Okay, uh, thank you very much. I will call to order the uh, February um, 6th uh, meeting of the City of Kirkland Design Review Board, and uh, we'll begin with roll call. Randall Brand. Yes, sir. Brad Brown. Present. Carlos Castaneda. Present. Shoshana Cohen. Present. Fatima Cohen. Present. Tyler Smith and Amy Tars. Present. Thanks. Thank you very much. Um, okay. Um, so um, we have no meeting, no minutes to read and or approve tonight. So I'll go ahead and announce the agenda. Tonight's agenda is two items. Uh, first is a, a conceptual design conference for the Foundry uh, project file number DRB 22-00407. And the second is a continuation of and the design response conference for the uh, Project Kirkland CKC Townhomes file number DRB 22-00777. Um, and that's all we have on the agenda for tonight in addition to um, some administrative um, items. All right, um, so now is the time uh, for any members of the public or audience who wish to speak on any items that are not relating, not related to tonight's agenda. Uh, do we have anyone in the list? Yeah, we have five attendees, Carlos, um, but none of them are raising their hand currently. All right, sounds good. Well, we'll proceed. Um, let's just dive right into um, the first um, conceptual design conference for the foundry. I'll turn it into the okay. staff for the, their presentation. <laughs> Sounds good. Let me just share my screen. Are you seeing, sorry, are you seeing the main slide or are you seeing the notes? the main slide. Perfect. All right. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Jen Anderer. I'm an associate planner for the city of Kirkland, as Carlos had mentioned. Um, we're here for the conceptual design conference. Hey, Jen. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But we see your notes. Oh, you see my notes? <laughs> you can see what I'm saying. Here, let's swap. There you go. Better? Yep. Well, now, now I ruined the surprise. You know what I'm going to say for my intro. <laughs> um, anyway, we are here for the conceptual design conference um, for the Foundry. Okay, still seeing the real full slide, no notes. Just making sure. Okay. Yeah. So the subject property is comprised of two parcels. It's located in the Totem Lake neighborhood at 12700 Northeast 124th Street. It has frontage on 128th Lane and also Northeast 124th Street. And the property is currently housing um, the Totem Lake Commercial Center, which is made up of two separate two-story commercial buildings. 
And the subject property is zone TL7A with a maximum height of 80 feet above average building elevation. The property to the west is also zone TL7A, so it has that same 80 foot uh, height max. And then to the northeast and south of the property, it's surrounded by zoning with a maximum height of 45 feet. So TL9A, industrial use to the north, TL7B, industrial use to the east, and then TL6A, um, commercial to the south. As far as permitting goes, um, we're currently in the design review phase. It's separated into two, um, two phases. There's the conceptual design conference, so CDC, which is what we're here for tonight, um, for the applicant to introduce the project and the board to provide feedback in preparation for the design response conference. So then the DRC will follow, which is notice to the public, and the applicant has designed a project based on the board's feedback at the CDC meeting. This project will also require a SEPA review, um, so that's going to look at those environmental impacts, noise, parking, um, or noise and traffic, excuse me. And then finally, there'll be development permits for grading and building. The proposal is for a seven-story mixed-use building containing approximately 449 residential units with 13,000 square feet of commercial space, and then parking would be located within a garage. And this project has quite a few zoning, pertinent zoning regulations uh, that I want to go over tonight. They're all detailed in the staff report, um, and a number of them are fairly standard. So things like permitted use, uh, height, parking, things like that. Um, but there are three items that I wanted to draw the board's attention to because the code grants you authority to review or approve modifications. So those would be Design standards for projects that are adjacent to the CKC, like this one, uh, required landscape buffers, and then also a required ground floor retail. We start with the proximity to the CKC. There's a required 10-foot setback from the corridor, and the site has site and building design standards. So the site needs to be designed so that parking is landscaped, and um, more specifically for this project, in addition to required landscaping buffers, which I'll chat about in a couple more slides, um, the landscaping needs to complement the corridor's function. There should also be a pedestrian entrance facing the CKC with a pathway and required bike parking needs to be accessible to the CKC. Then as far as design for the building, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the facades that are facing the corridor need to comply with the blank wall treatments, any parking um, or garages that are visible to the CKC need to incorporate pedestrian focused design. Building facades that are visible from the CKC also need to use similar materials and windows as the remaining or as the rest of the facades. And then there's also um, a vertical modulation requirement. So at least every 120 feet vertical modulation that carries through all the floors of the building. Uh, tonight, we would like the board to identify any specific design considerations or application materials that the applicant should prepare for the DRC meeting with uh, the CKC proximity in mind. Then there's also a special regulation for mixed use developments in the TL7A zone. It requires a 15 foot landscape buffer um, unless it's adjoining a property that's residential, but that's not the case for this project. Or if the property line adjoins a major arterial, such as uh, Northeast 124th Street along the south. 
So what that means is for this project, they need to comply with the buffer standard one or that 15 foot vegetated buffer along the west, the north and the east property lines. Um, staff conducted an initial review of the proposal and identified that the applicant doesn't meet the 15 foot standard and will be requesting a variation from the requirement. So chapter 142 of the code does grant the board authority to approve a minor variation to landscaping standards and that's based on two criteria. So first, the request results in superior design and then also the request doesn't have um, a substantial detrimental effect to the nearby properties, the city, or the neighborhood. So as part of their DRC submittal, um, the applicant will need to address the criteria for each of the landscape buffers that are requesting a variation. And then since the board does have that authority to review the request, we would be asking um, the board to identify any techniques that they might want to see to meet that criteria, along with materials for the DRC. And the third zoning item that may require the board's direct input is ground floor retail. Um, the code requires the project to provide 20% of the street level gross floor area to be used for commercial space. And staff reviewed the proposal and identified that the applicant will need to provide a more thorough analysis of the required commercial space, including scaled floor plans and area and depth dimensions. The board does have the authority to approve a minor variation just to the depth component of the requirement, um, but the proposal doesn't appear to be requesting that at this time. And then finally, there are some critical area buffers that extend onto the property. So the applicant completed a critical area determination and they found an offsite wetland in the northwest corner. So you can see that there in blue. It has a 60 foot buffer with a 10 foot buffer setback. And the wetland isn't particularly a constraining factor for this project, um, but staff will be reviewing for compliance in the DRC or through the DRC, making sure that the um, buffer is properly vegetated with chapter 90 standards. So as far as context, the board should discuss the physical and built environment. Um, around the subject property, looking at things like height, neighboring structures, the proximity to the cross Kirkland corridor, like we just talked about, landscaping, and identify any opportunities or constraints given things like the streetscape, pedestrian patterns, character in the area. And the board should be reviewing this project in relation to the Totem Lake design guidelines with particular emphasis on these key issues. If we start with scale, um, we're thinking about things like key vantage points of the project, opportunities to emphasize that street corner and incorporate any sort of architectural elements that add a visual interest, pedestrian friendly fronts, and then specifically for this project, what site and building design techniques um, should be incorporated for that proximity and design standards to the CKC. And for pedestrian access, the board should discuss how the proposed massing relates to the pedestrian environment. What opportunities are there for pedestrian spaces, uh, connections to the CKC, and then there is a special consideration in the design guidelines for TL7A um, talking about pedestrian connections. So what opportunities are there to provide a safe and convenient public pedestrian access that goes from Northeast 124th up to the CKC? 
Then for open space and landscaping, are there any opportunities to capitalize on any open space? And again, circling back to that buffer modification, what landscape buffer techniques would result in a superior design? What wouldn't have a detrimental effect on the nearby properties or the surrounding area? All right, and finally, we're asking the board to provide guidance to the applicant on their proposal, um, determine any information or application materials as they prepare for their design response conference. That's all I have. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Um, board members, do you guys have any comments or questions for Jennifer? I have good questions. Go ahead. Thank you, Carla. Yes. Uh, just very quick. Um, first of all, can you please explain to me what does it mean vertical modulation for 120 feet? That the the vertical modulation on that facade that's facing the CKC, there uh -huh. needs to be the the maximum um, the maximum length without having any sort of vertical modulation is 120 feet. Okay. Did that? Did that make sense? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, thanks. And then sure. um, just um, for the minor modifications, mm -hmm. I just like, do you have any kind of idea, rough idea, what is minor for the scale of minor? Okay. I think... <laughs> did that answer your question? As yes. I. <laughs> um, you know, I was, well, I was pulling up and what it says, and I, yeah, John turned on his camera. He might have a little insight um, on that. I think it's pointing more towards those two criteria. Um, John, what do you think? <laughs> well, it's a good question, Shoshana. I think historically the board has, in terms of minor variations or modifications, has looked at it case by case. So looking at um, what the ask is and then tying it to some sort of, um, I don't want to say the word benefit necessarily, but the criteria, one of the criteria has to do with superior design. So there's kind of been always this trade-off of, well, if we're going to reduce your setback by X amount, what is, what is the city getting in terms of superior design? So there's kind of been that discussion okay. more so than, you know, if it's a 15 foot buffer, minor being 14 feet or, you know, like a reduction of one or two, it's been more of an issue of what is the request and what are we, what is the, what is the building or the design giving us that's better than what we normally would get? The value, the added yeah. value. Kind of, yeah. Okay. yeah. Sorry. Thank you. No worries. I also have some questions. Go ahead, Amy. If, if, okay. Um, yeah, following up on that 15-foot buffer, can you explain why we require that? What was the purpose of that? Yeah, so it's it's interesting because it's a it's a regulation that doesn't point to necessarily each of the specific individual property lines, but it's the idea that residential is permitted here and based on the surrounding uses, it's needing that buffer from kind of those heavier industrial spaces. Um, less so required on 124th because it's that major roadway you get a natural wider 
um, major arterial. So you kind of have a lot of that vehicular traffic going. But just to the north, this project happens to have the CKC, but then right on the other side of that, you have some industrial spaces and, and likewise some car dealerships, things like that. So it's wanting to have a little bit more of that protection since this is um, a residential use. Hmm. And then as far the as far as the retail, um, you know, the 20% retail um, with a 30 feet depth. So the applicant is basically able to provide that. So both the 20% and the 30 feet. That's what they'll that's what they'll need to do. As far as the depth, that's a little bit easier to analyze at this conceptual stage. So that's why I'm thinking that it might not be a request of the board to look into um, a depth modification. But as far as the actual square footage, that's something that we've been working with the applicant. And so we're going to need a little bit more analysis um, that will be very clear when it comes in for the DRC. Okay, great. That's all I have. Thanks, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Anyone else? Okay, um, there being none, um, let's proceed. It's alternate to the applicant to begin their presentation. Okay, can you hear me? Yes. All right, great. I know some of this might be a, a little redundant. Um, Jennifer did such a good job going through this, but uh, good evening. Uh, thank you, Jennifer and Sign Review Board for your time and consideration. I know I speak for all of us at American Capital Group when I say we're ecstatic to finally be here. Uh, my name is Sean Thorson. I'm the Acquisitions Manager for American Capital Group. And joining me this evening is our Vice President of Development, Mr. David Sinnott. Um, I've rearranged some of the images and pages from the PDF submission you were provided to make this presentation a little bit more efficient. Uh, and if I could just share my screen here. Should... Okay, can you see that? Not yet. Yeah. Okay, we can see your screen now. Okay. Great. Um, as Jennifer had said, our site is located at 12700 Northeast 124th Street on the eastern edge of the TL7A zoning in Totem Lake, consisting of two parcels, which create a combined 4.6 acre site you're likely familiar with. Currently, the property serves as a mix of light industrial and other small businesses. We're adjacent to the Northeast 124th, 128th Lane Northeast, the Cross Kirkland Corridor Trail and Volkswagen. Across the street to the south is the retail strip mall called Totem Place, home of Lucky Seven Bar and Grill and various other restaurants and or businesses. Across the street to the east is Les Schwab and adjacent to our property to the west is the Volkswagen dealership, which is right here. We are fortunate to border the Cross Kirkland Corridor Trail and Totem Lake itself with the entire length of the north side of our property. On this page, we can see an enlarged section of the site survey and several drone shots that showcase views of the property from every angle. As you can see, each of the properties slopes, each of the each side of the property slopes in a different direction and grade, making this developing, making this development site quite complex. 
The existing building has addressed this by depressing the grade of the entire site below the surrounding right-of-way, including below the CKC, and we intend to address that. As shown visually in photo A, the site slopes from east to west approximately five and a half feet. Photos B, C, and D show us differing slopes from the front to the back of the property, ranging from an approximate nine-foot slope running south to north on the east side of the property to over 10 feet on the west side. So as you can see, the site slopes this way, this way, this way, and this way, um, almost like a corkscrew. Won't go too in depth here because Jennifer has already done a great deal of uh, explanation on the zoning code. However, we do have many of the applicable codes included in our submission for reference. One area of note is the height allowed in the TLC 7A zoning is 80 feet with 80% impervious coverage. You'll notice as we go through this process that all of the proposed structures are well below the 80 foot uh, average grade maximum height limit. This page represents a section of the primary frontage in our preferred option. However, it reflects the relative standard to be expected throughout all of our options along Northeast 124th. Nearly, nearly the entire frontage will feature ADA accessible retail and commercial space with access off the large pedestrian plaza, all running nearly the full length of the building. We will discuss the size of the commercial space in a moment, but this image shows, more than, shows that we will be providing more than a 14 foot clear, likely 15 foot clear ceiling height uh, in the retail area and the average height of the building uh, over the average grade is 69 feet, uh, nine and a quarter inches, which is 10 feet below the allowable building height. This site's special. It has, it has remained the same light industrial feel for many, many years, while the Totem Lake neighborhood has matured around it. The changes in planning this development are equally matched, or the challenges in planning this development are equally matched by its potential to bring new residents close to the natural beauty, connectivity, and convenience Totem Lake has to offer. We aim to enhance this a step further. We want, a future, we want our future residents to have uninhibited access to the area amenities. As such, we have envisioned a site that is easily accessible, accessible by residents, the public, first responders, delivery drivers, and more. Our proposed site includes two, a two-way drive aisle, a pedestrian ADA accessible pathway, and abundant landscapings on all sides of our building. We are restoring a critical area from the concrete, critical area from the concrete it is currently back to its native vegetation. And that's this area here right now. Uh, quality towing uh, uses it as a parking lot. Um, we'll be providing a publicly accessible fitness park with picnic areas and a sprint track, which is here, an outdoor dog park, and two access points to the CKC, one of which is ADA accessible. So right now there is no access along this entire property. We'll be providing ramp access here and access directly off the park here. Um, as far as pedestrian connections go, uh, you can go throughout the entire site, um, all ADA accessible, and we have a pathway with crosswalks that will take you to the parks, the CKC, the dog park, bike parking, et cetera. The building frontage will welcome visitors, visitors in a beautifully landscaped pedestrian plaza with access to retail, nearly the full length of our site. So this entire area here will now become a pedestrian plaza with landscaping, 
planters and uh, numerous other amenities. Uh, right now, this is depressed below grade. All of our design alternatives are restricted by the size, shape, and topography of this site. The landscape buffer uh, was brought up earlier, and we are aware of, of this requirement. Uh, Special Re Regulation 5 requires a 15-foot Type 1 landscape buffer between private properties, um, which is over here. I don't think we have any issue on any other side. Um, our site is bordered on three sides by right-of-way and to the west by Volkswagen. In order to provide usable vehicular and pedestrian access to the CKC, the new dog park or the new park, the dog park, garage access, and a fire lane, the landscape strip proposed must be slightly modifi modified to accommodate. Doing so results in a superior design that fulfills the intent of the design regulation as we understand it. We are providing substantially more public benefit with this design over having no access and a simple 15 foot wide landscape strip on this side. Um, if the intent was to have a buffer between property types, we've got significantly more of a buffer than would be provided by a, a 15 foot landscape strip as well, um, as outlined in this diagram. The departure will not have any substantial or detrimental effect on nearby properties. In fact, this design pre presents a much larger buffer than the design guidelines require, uh, as previously mentioned. For a comparison, uh, due to the complexity of this site, uh, between the aforementioned grade changes, alternating slopes and the adjoining right-of-ways and high groundwater, this diamond-shaped site really only lends itself to a single building. Doing so per permits more visible access to the CKC in addition to the outdoor amenities that we propose and allows proper ve vehicular circulation around the site. A multi-phase or multi-building approach is not financially feasible in the current economic environment. Working within these constraints, we had developed three distinctly different buildings to consider. Option one. Option one proposes a 514-unit building up to 70 feet in height with a fully enclosed structure featuring modern design and vertical modulation extending through all levels of the residential facade. The benefits of this design are the increase in number of units, weather protection in the courtyards due to being fully enclosed and the pedestrian plaza. So as you can see in this image here, this option has all fully enclosed courtyards over the entire property. The challenges of this alternative include low natural light in the courtyards and increased parking need due to additional units that could be troublesome with the high water table and increased scale along 128. Option two proposes a 491 unit building with an interesting double donut uh, in the shape of number 90. No alternative meaning there, it's just 90 by coincidence, as you can see in this picture here. This option provides separation in the facade by opening one of the courtyards to the Northwest and to the Southeast. So in this image again, you can see how that opens up there. The benefits of option two include open courtyards, additional units, a pedestrian plaza and improved human scale. This alternative presents more significant modulation than option one. Due to the design of this option, a major challenge is the need for a full level of subgrade parking, which significantly increased the construction costs, which we'll touch on in a moment, and less visual interest from all sides when compared to the preferred option. 
Option three uh, is our preferred alternative. At 449 units and under 70 feet in height, this alternative showcases a significant reduction in human scale, in part thanks to the symmetry provided by its east and west facing courtyards. The latter enjoys a full view of Totem Lake in the village. As you can see here, the building is mirrored. So every side of this building will enjoy the same modulation uh, and, and openness. Visually, this appears to be three different buildings from the largest sides. This option draws on the best components of the previous three alternatives and takes it a step further. Features include a recessed, recessed unit balconies. Here, these will actually be built in instead of bolt-on um, as would be proposed in the previous uh, options. Nearly all above-grade parking, limiting the dewatering needed from a sub-grade parking garage, um, which will greatly reduce any unforeseen implications to the stormwater system as well as reducing construction costs. Residents will appreciate a greater amount of natural light in the courtyards and an emphasis on views from every angle. Challenges here include a reduced number of units and additional construction costs due to the design components rather than parking. We discussed ground floor retail. Um, this is in your PDF as well. Um, and just to touch on the depth, it's right here. It's about 57 feet in depth. Um, all alternatives will include this considerable amount of ground floor retail. Kirkland Zoning Code 55.51.02 requires 20% of the gross floor area along Northeast 124th to include commercial. Our ground floor street level ends at the wall on the opposite side of the retail and guest parking indicated in purple. The area in blue represents the approximate 13,444 square feet of retail area provided which is about 43% of the street level ground uh, gross floor area. The frontage along Northeast 124th is comprised of 80.29% retail. So the building actually ends right here, but all of this frontage is all retail. And then you've got our, our little lobby over here. Um, and then benefits from a sizable pedestrian plaza. Side access. Access to the site will be the same throughout all studies due to the constraints of topography, nearby intersections, and the best design option for circulation. The primary access to the site is located roughly in the same location as the existing building's access off of 124th. That's right here. This area would be used by residents with homes in the southern portion of the building, guests and patrons of the future retail tenants accessing the upper garage, which would be here. The secondary entrance would likely be most utilized by residents with homes on the north half of the building. Delivery to the second mail room and lobby and access to the lower garage. Either entry to the site provides quick access to the CKC and all of our other outdoor amenities. In conclusion, we recognize how challenging it can be to realize a vision from this site uh, from simple massings. There is much more exterior design to be done. This image represents a more refined overview of our preferred massing, roughly displaying the goals for color, materials, uh, and brightening this section of the TL7A zoning in Totem Lake. Thank you very much for your time. We look forward to expanding our contribution to the Kirkland community and welcome any questions that you may have. Thank you very much, uh, Sean, for your presentation. Um,
Now it's the time for the board to make any questions to the applicant regarding this project. Uh, board members who would like to start? <clears throat> I have a quick question for the city. Um, I'm familiar with this area and there's another um, kind of five over one mixed use development um, almost right across the street, you know, maybe just a block away and across the street. And I don't think the design review board um, had to weigh in on that one. Is that just nature of the zoning change when you cross uh, 124th? Jen, are you able to look that up really quick? Yeah, I was wondering. Yeah. Uh, are you talking about Slater? No, this would be the, um, I think it's the senior affordable housing type projects. Um, Francis Village, I think, just south of. Yeah, it's I have like a feeling... across from the Volkswagen. Yeah. It's like something like that. And, it... and I remember seeing it go up, but we didn't review it. Is right. it fronting 124th or is it south of Slater? South uh, of 124th, fronting it. Fronting it. Yeah. Look to page 29 of the submitted document that has the aerial that shows the south side of 124th and in the property to the north and the Volkswagen dealership. It shows the two, yep. the two projects you're talking about. Yeah, because I think that's still in within the design. Mm -hmm. Sorry, my GS is loading very slowly. Um, but then uh, while you're pulling that up, uh, a question for the applicant. I'm not sure how far you've gotten on um, kind of the wetland buffer averaging. And uh, um, essentially, if that's nearly complete and you're confident in, in kind of your CKC uh, connection there, or if... Um, that's still a little bit in flux, um, depending on what some of the, you know, kind of wetland requirements are going to be. We've done our full critical area determination and had a wetland specialist out there uh, as well as it peer reviewed by the city specialists. So we are, we're, we're well outside of that with our connections um, and any wetland would be stopped by the right of way. Um, so that would be on the opposite side of the right of way anyhow, if that were to be an issue, but on uh, our site, it's not. Mm -hmm. And the is the SEPA finished? Uh, have they done reviews for um, traffic, you know, and, and amount of trips coming in and out? Um, and related to that, if you have any tenants lined up for retail space, if, if that might affect uh, any of the traffic coming in, both pedestrian and vehicular? We do not have tenants lined up yet. Um, obviously, you know, any sort of leasing of the space would be quite a ways down the road. Um, but SEPA has been submitted for some time. So we're, we're just waiting for, for the city's input on that. Okay, thank you. So I did pull up um, Francis Village. It is within the design um, district. It looks like that was a 2008 project. Does that sound about right? It's yeah. a little before my yeah. time. So I, th I think <laughs> those projects... I think those projects went in before the we required design review. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. that's the only thing I can think of those. Thank okay. you, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was just curious about the borders of, you know, because I know we review projects kind of based on like the neighborhood and uh, kind of design district 
boundaries. And I wasn't sure where exactly that landed. Thanks. Um, Randall, do you have any questions for the applicant? Uh, not at this time. I think I've got probably more questions for the board than I, I do the applicant. So okay. I'll just fill in. Sounds good. Amy? Yeah, I have a, uh, let's see, three. Um, can you explain to me why your um, your northern entrance is on 128? Is that like, and then you have this long driveway to get into your garage. Is that There's, a city requirement because of queuing? No, there's there's two garage enter entrances. There's an uh, upper garage and a lower garage. And the intent of having that drive aisle go all the way around the building was for one, to provide access to the CKC, uh, both vehicular and pedestrian from both sides. Um, and two is to have a fire lane and, and good circulation throughout the site. Um, if we were to have a, a dead end or a T or, or something there, uh, it would limit that and we wouldn't have the, the same circulation. Uh, right now, the site already has entrances in roughly the same location. Um, okay. Um, and then as far as the buffer, this is just for clarification. You are requesting a variation or a departure or whatever the correct term is only for the um, west buffer, correct? That's what we requested. Um, I uh -huh. think that if the city is requiring us to have a 15 foot buffer along 128, that that's something that we'd wanna look into uh, a little bit further before you know, saying 100% that we don't want one there, but I'm pretty sure we, we are set back far enough and it's all vegetation from the building to the sidewalk on that side. So the, 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 the most concerning side is the west side between us and Volkswagen. Um, we provided a, a significant buffer and there's plenty of landscaping. I mean, significantly more than is there now, but not a solid 15 foot strip, the full length. We wouldn't be able to have uh, the same access to the CKC or to the parks. And if I can jump in and just add one thing to that, as we were going through some of the prelim designs and talking with uh, public works, the two existing locations were the preferred locations uh, for vehicular access. I think, Amy, as you had kind of pointed out, because of uh, potential queuing or separation from that existing uh, intersection on our southeast corner. So getting as much space from that intersection to the entrance to the site. Uh, so if we were to have a 15 foot landscape buffer, uh, we would most likely need to pull that entrance, you know, farther east, which would also then decrease the separation between the intersection and, and our entrance. Um, the other thing I just wanted to confirm with Jennifer, I believe you had mentioned, uh, and I've read before that the 15 foot landscape buffer on the south and the east would not necessarily be required, even though we do provide some landscape buffer because it is adjacent to right of way. It's not because it's adjacent to right of way. So you you would not be required to have one on the south and it's because of the type of right of way that it's adjacent to. So it's because 124th is an arterial. Um, so then it would need to meet the standards or 
request and receive approval of a minor variation for the west, north, and east property lines. And that's it's based on the definition of adjoining, um, which is defined in the code. Thank you. Okay, so on 128 lane, that's your east property line, you're showing um, a continuous, what are you calling this, public space? Is that what you're providing for the buffer? No, are you, are, are you talking about the uh, public space that's on the corner there? Um, I'm, I'm reading page 16 showing a, a continuous strip of green along 128 mm. lane northeast. It says buyer retention planter and then public space. The public space would All be on, on the corner. Um, that's, that's at least as of right now, mostly grass and landscaping. Okay. Um, there, there will be landscaping the full length of that side, but it was not designed with the intent to have a 15 foot landscape buffer. So that's why I said I wanted us to make sure that we're, uh, you know, in line with the city's requirement there, or we would have to ask for a minor modification on that side. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So basically, your your driveway that goes all along your north and your west um, perimeter. Um, that's all for fire because of fire access requirements. No. It's, okay. it's for access to the garages, both the lower and upper garage. It's for access to the lower lobby and mail room. Um, so the post office can access that. And then the access to the trail. So if someone is over on 128th and they want to come and, and enjoy our park and then jump on the, the CKC, they can do so by walking down that pathway and likewise off of 124th. Well, you don't need such a wide pavement for people to walk to access the CKC. So the only thing I can conclude is that this is for vehicles. But you're also not going to want or encourage strangers to come to your site and drive to your site to get to the CKC, correct? Well, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be uh, parking down there, so there'd be no reason for for anyone to drive their car and, and, and park it next to the, the CKC, they'd be, they'd be in the drive aisle. But this does allow two cars, and it's not quite as wide as it looks, but it allows two cars to pass each other safely and have good circulation on the site and access either entrance and exit um, as they see fit. And this, I'm sure, will reduce the, uh, the impact on traffic. So yeah, and then based on your drawing, where where you show it as white, that's the area that will basically uh, be heavily used. I'm, I'm saying that in, in a very relative term to get to your garage, right? No, um, the white is impervious surface. The rest of that driveway will be pervious. Oh, okay. So I'm still trying to understand why you need the. The, your driveway to go all the way around your perimeter if the garage entrance stops, you know, halfway through your building and then um, same on the other side of the west. It's a little hard to tell from that site plan, Amy. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the entrance on the west side is actually a full level higher than the entrance on the north. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, we don't have uh, interior. So it's not continuous. It it is continuous on on the perimeter, but as you come off of the the south drive aisle on the west side, you're relatively ten feet higher than the north elevation entrance. So you are actually sloping down on that roadway in order to access the north garage, which is a full level below. Okay. Does that make sense? I mean. Yes, yes. But I, I still don't understand why you would need a continuous. Um, I mean, if you if you want to get into the garage, you're going to go, if you're driving on the south on northeast 124, you're going to go into that garage entrance and then um, you're not going to keep driving and go to the north, right? Well, it, it is possible. I mean, it is possible to design it where you don't necessarily have that um, the connection between the two drive entrances. Doing so though, as Sean had mentioned, gives us more flexibility, right? For access either to the west side or to the north, which also helps with the trip generation and how people access the site. And then also how people depart the site and then get onto uh, the, the right of way. Okay, um, I appreciate that. Thank um, you. And then the, my last question is you mentioned that um, uh, your your preferred option shows uh, uh, the uh, garage basically kind of in you know um, a little bit below the grade, but not but you don't need to do the full ex, ex I'm sorry excavation um, of the other that you would have to do for the other two options. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, okay. we, we sacrificed some some units in order to uh, keep that above grade. Um, and really, it seems seems like that's the only way that uh, a project would work on this site. Uh, the groundwater is too high. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, that's all I have. And to give Thank some you. more con context to that, Amy, the groundwater is <clears throat> roughly three to five feet you know, below uh, ground level. So it's extremely high. Uh, the preliminary information that we've ended up receiving uh, was like 560 gallons uh, per minute for dewatering requirements, depending on how how far down we go. So, you know, it's a substantial amount of water that we would have to treat, uh, detain, and then eventually discharge into city storm. Um, and so, uh, by by decreasing the subgrade in order to maintain the same parking ratio. Um, we eliminate some parking and then eliminate some some units and then open up the facade. Okay, yeah, thank you, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Um, Shoshana, do you have any questions for the applicant? Not at the moment, thank you. Right, uh, Fatima, do you have any questions? No, not at the moment, thank you. Right, Tyler? Uh, yeah, I just have a, a couple. Um, I thank you guys again for explaining that when it comes to the entrance, uh, I have a good understanding there. Uh, question also in regards to the parking, but this is more focused on the residents and retail that are there. Are you guys going to be offering or providing some sort of security for the residents to be able to get in and out versus yeah. the pedestrians? And also will the retail be involved with that as well? Uh, well, retail has structured parking and 
you'll have to go through a security gate uh, after that point to get into the garage on the upper level and down below will be all residential and it would have a security gate there as well. Okay, great. Um, and then my other question was in regards to uh, the city's waste management, have you guys come up with the, have you guys been able to come up with a way to, uh, to place where the waste management would be going and would that affect any of the residents or retail and the pedestrians? Um, we have come up with a plan um, and it shouldn't have any impact on, on the residents. Uh, part of that would be that drive aisle as well. Um, you know, the, the uh, waste manager would be able to access the site um, in a manner that doesn't require them to pull in and out and, um, you know, make a mess or, or, or anything of that sort. They could pick up the trash and be along their way. Um, but the trash will be brought out um, and set in a, a specific place for them to pick it up. Right. And then just to reconfirm, when it came to the wetlands area, is that area for all pedestrians and retail and residents or is that specifically for the residents? The wetlands? The access to it, yeah. The, I think it's the park on the north park, side yeah. that's adjacent the, to the wetlands, yeah. That's that's publicly accessible. So anybody would be able to enjoy the park. Got it. That's all I got. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Thanks, Tyler. Tyler, um, now it's uh, my turn. Uh, thank you very much for uh, your presentation, um, Sean and David. Um, so... Do you, do you guys have a landscape architect on board? We do. And uh, have, have you talked about uh, tree retention? I know that on the east and the west of the property, there's a line of this, of evergreens. And I think that on the north e, northeast corner, there's a deciduous tree. Just wondering like what's planned for retention of existing um, trees and if that's incorporated into your design. I don't believe it was. I'd have to consult the, the Arborist report again uh, on that, but we are, are putting in uh, many more trees than are there now. So do the existing trees are planned to be removed? I, I'm not 100% sure. Dave, do you recall what our plan was? Yeah, I believe so. Just based again off of the topography and what's needed uh, to get the ground floor of the building in. Um, I mean, there's always a potential to try to save those, retain them on site, and then replant them. But based off of the existing location and what we need to do for development, uh, those would uh, at least be pulled out. And, and David, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but these trees are located pretty much close to the property line, right? So it wouldn't really um, obstruct the, 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 the building footprint. The building footprint itself, no. However, in order to do the installation, we're going through some of those designs now in terms of what kind of um, uh, retaining wall, right, or soil nail is needed. And so even though they are outside the footprint itself, um, just based off of the, the tree diameter size, they usually say uh, that you need to retain one foot for every one inch of radius of trunk. So then that starts coming in. I mean, the trunk itself isn't within the, the building footprint, but the, the root systems are typically much farther out. We've dealt with this in a couple other developments that we've had. Um, and if you end up obviously damaging a certain percentage of that, that root system, uh, it just becomes you know, a hazardous tree later. And so um, that's why I would say 
if we need to retain those, that's something that we could potentially work through and, and try to save them. But if they stay in those existing locations, I fear that we would end up killing them and then just having to take them out uh, after the fact. And the reason why I'm asking is because the other day I walked by your property or by this property, and I noticed that the trees that are located on the southwest corner are pretty pretty close to the edge property. So just looking at this and just wondering like, if there was any risk. I mean, do, do you guys have a 15-foot um, buffer that needs to be provided on the west and on the east? Uh, just wondering, but thanks for addressing the question. And the second is... Um, as part of the CDC, um, we uh, request applicants to provide through, um, different options, different massing options. Now, looking at the option one and option three, I noticed that the footprint is pretty, pretty much similar. Option three was ha has the uniqueness of that um, the north. Uh, Northwest corner and southeast corner are removed, uh, but pretty much is the same. Uh, could you uh, elaborate and um, on how the um, different modulations and massing uh, have been proposed for option one and option three? Sure. Um, is there a comparison that we can see just to like side to side? Yeah. Pull it up here. So, can you see that? Yes. Okay. So here's option one. Option three is our is our preferred. Um, Option one would have uh, more standard uh, vertical modulation throughout. Uh, yes, it's enclosed and yes, it appears to be similar, but keep in mind that's 514 units uh, compared to 449. Um, the, all of the courtyards are enclosed in this version. Uh, it also includes a full level of subgrade parking. Option three, our preferred, is open on the southeast, the Northwest, the interior is enclosed, but it has all above grade parking and built-in balconies. These are actually recessed in, that adds, that adds to the modulation and then stepped back on top. So this level here where the bump out is located, that's stepped back as well. So you've got horizontal modulation, ver uh, vertical modulation, openings, um, this, uh, side right here, it's, it's hard to tell when you're just looking at these white massings, but uh, this, this area here is completely set apart with different materials and at an angle, whereas this angles differently um, and again is, is fully enclosed. So this would still relatively fall within the city's guidelines for modulation, but obviously from a, a human scale standpoint um, and an interest standpoint, uh, our preferred option provides a little bit more. And I'm just uh, mentioning this because one of, one of the items for modulation is also to encourage a variety of roof line modulation techniques. And uh, it seems that uh, option one, the one that we have been presented to, and also option two a little bit, um, have a very continuous horizontal line. So, so, sorry, but to me just like appears that option three has been refined, but option 
one and option two are not meeting that point. And regarding the south, uh, southeast corner, what's the purpose of getting that angle to the building? Is, the, is, that, inten is that intentional? And if yes. so, what's the intention there? Um, see if this will help. So here is a, a slightly more refined version and you can see how there's a difference in materials. It's, the site is, this, is the shape of a diamond. So if we're trying to maintain efficiency, we have to build the building in the shape of a diamond, which is very difficult to do. So that's gonna present us with some angles that maybe we wouldn't normally use I think in the finished version, uh, when you see in the next meeting, that's gonna generate a lot more interest in the building. Um, you still have your, your primary frontage, you still have your weather protection, all of your commercial, but then you've got interest in this section that's different than this section, that's different than this section uh, and so on. And then that mirrors on the opposite side. So the, the angle actually works really well um, with the parking garage. We're also contending with this grade dropping all the way down like this. And then this grade drops down that way and this drops that way and that drops this way. So there's, the building is uh, kind of all over the place from a, a grade standpoint and meeting that at the right of way um, as opposed to doing what is there currently, uh, we've got to, to make a few adjustments. I mean, right now, you, know, you, you just walked past the existing site uh, the entire site's depressed below right of way um, with no real access to uh, to the commercial. I mean, if you imagine if that was at street level and you were able to walk up and enjoy some of those businesses um, without having to, you know, go down the steps. So that's what that took. Um, I mean, my personal preference is that the, the angle looks great and uh, adds, adds a lot of visual interest to the building. And have you uh, performed any um, solar anal analysis uh, with kind of like the courtyards that you have in between? I'm just um, kind of like asking, what's the separation uh, of the north and the south courtyards distance between kind of like those two buildings, the horizontal? You have to, to, to pull that up, um, which I can probably do here. Uh, it's much wider than it looks. I can tell you that. Remember, it's a the entire building is over four four acres. Okay, no no worries. If, okay, just wondering if you guys um, have uh, performed some sort of solar analysis just to see how much light is going to get into those units. Oh, a solar analysis. Yeah, like. Um, yeah, basically to see like different seasons, if that's gonna impact uh, the spaces of the courtyards, how they are gonna, um, how they are gonna be um, illuminated like during the day in terms of shades. We do have uh, additional imagery that we can provide uh, in in the next submission, and if um, you know a, a solar analysis uh, is of interest to you, uh, then we'll we'll get it in there. Okay. Um, Right, that's all that I have for now. Thank you very much for uh, just to add one other comment uh, on that one, Carlos. We have another development up in uh, Everett, Washington, called Broadway. That's got an opening that faces 
uh, to to the east, similar to that southeast corner in, in this location or to the northwest. Um, it actually provides quite a bit of light. We actually have a couple other projects up in Linwood, Connect at Linwood, which is an enclosed donut, um, and also Connect at Burien, which is an enclosed donut. And so after looking at those and doing some, some uh, sun studies on those, we haven't taken it uh, to the next step on, on this one. But I think that's the different option that um, between option one and three, being able to open up two of the three of those uh, balconies or, or courtyards will actually provide quite a bit of sun compared to option one. Okay, thanks for the clarification, David. Really appreciate it. All right, um, let's let's continue. Uh, now it will be time for anyone in the audience uh, to make any comments on this project. Oh, Car Sorry, Randall. Right? Yeah, can yeah. I ask just a couple of quick questions? Sure. <laughs> as as we we're as we we're going through and we we're talking about parking and this type of thing, what what about visitor parking for the apartments? You've talked about that the retail has structured parking, which I assume has a two-hour limit or some sort of limit and that type of thing. And 128th to the east is not set up to have parallel parking along the street. So what do you do about visitor parking? There's 10% uh, guest parking included um, as per code. Within the structured parking. Yeah. So it, it's, okay, so it's it's inside, it's within the structured parking and accessible, not under lock and key or gate or anything of that sort. You can see right here where you pull in and have access to all of this parking. Now, is that the retail or is that the guest? It's retail and guest. Um, there's the retail requirement, and I suppose that could be specified. And then there's guest as well. Is the retail and the guest add up to the 10% or is the guest above and beyond the retail? Our, our total guest parking that we're providing does add up to, to at least the 10%. And then there's plus retail parking. Plus retail parking, exactly. Okay, okay, good. That's all I have right now. All right, thank you, Randall. Just Thanks, Randall. a quick, quick question on that, Sean. Uh, uh, with the uh, document that we received, um, the background information says that you are providing approximately 449 to 514 residential units, right? So I'm guessing that um, is, that um, confirmed what amount of units so you can get the number of required parking? Well, we're going off of what we believe we can provide in each one of those options. So in our preferred option, which has been a little bit more refined, um, that's broken down, but we, we did uh, include in our package uh, for all of these alternatives, the necessary parking. Are, are you meeting the minimum or exceeding that requirement of the minimum number of parking we're, stalls? We're, for? We're, ex we're exceeding the minimum. Um, I believe for uh, our preferred option, it was something like 698 was required and that's all in. That's your retail, that's your guest um, and your residential. And we're at, we have 740 something parking spaces there. So okay. we, we, we've exceeded that. All right, thanks. Thank you, Carlos. 
Okay, um, so uh, let's continue. Um, now, as I said, it will be time for anyone in the audience to make any comments on this project. Um, John or Jennifer, do we have anyone? Yeah, so we have seven attendees. Uh, if any of the attendees would like to provide public comment, please raise your hand on this project. So Carlos, it doesn't look like anyone um, in the audience is uh, would like to provide comment on this project. Okay. Um, so because uh, that we'll uh, jump into the deliberation. Um, now it's going to be the time for DRB to deliberate on this project. Um, board members, uh, would anyone like to start a conversation? Just as a reminder, we're going to be review massing, modulation, opportunities for pedestrian um, connections and engagement. So, uh, Brad, uh, <laughs> I'd like to uh, see if uh, you have any comments about this. Brad, I think it's your on mute. Yeah, thanks, Carlos. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see anything major that would have me stop, you know, the continuance of this. Um, I think everything can be resolved, you know, in, in future response conferences. Um, I'm really curious to see, you know, the typical details that we usually see, lighting plans, get landscape in, especially for those accesses to the trail, because we've seen you know, other projects um, and what they can do with the trail. So I'm excited at those possibilities. Um, I'm not sure about the uh, minor variations. Amy has some good questions about that. I'm curious to hear the rest of the board's deliberations on that. Um, I'm not sure how that would affect the design. And, you know, to uh, John's point earlier at the beginning of the meeting, you know, what kind of like the city's benefit is to that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, um, I, I don't have any major problems um, with their preferred option. Thank you, Brad. Um, just uh, to continue the conversation, Amy, um, Brad mentioned that uh, he um, feels the same with kind of like comments that you made um, about this project. Um. So uh, I'm still trying to digest their site. Um, you know, uh, I think that the grade um, changes uh, do pose some opportunities as well as obviously challenges. Um, as far as with, um, you know, uh, alternative three, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me the way like they, why, you know, they're not going below um, for their garage. Um, uh, where, where I'm I'm not sure yet about uh, how to respond to their um, you know their massing and their and their and their site, you know, their general site access is because um, this is quite unusual to re, you know to have a five over one or seven over one residential mixed use right in the middle of 
basically car dealerships and industrial uses. And so, um, you know, what we normally think of for pedestrian friendly design, um, I'm not really sure that that's even relevant on Northeast 128. Um, and then, um, yeah, and for at least for Northeast 124th, um, uh, you know, uh, eventually I'm 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 anticipating that a lot of those properties along 124th will also become these mixed use type of projects. But um, so having said that, um, uh, I, I I do understand why they're proposing the um, you know their access points. Obviously, again, um, if that's dictated by you know our our transportation or traffic um, uh, staff, um, we can't really dictate or or say no to that. Um, I I do question the need for this continuous driveway. Um, although um, I also, I started looking um, in more detail their um, floor plan and it looks like the south, the south axis is really uh, for primarily to serve the retail and then the north one is the one, I'm sorry, west is the one that serves the retail, although I, I'm assuming uh, your residents can also go in through there. But if I'm a resident, I would probably go and use the north access. Um, and so um, what I don't understand is why is there a need for this continuous um, driveway that basically takes up their west and their north perimeter um, and then cuts off the park from their building. Um, in terms of the massing, um, I think they're in the, uh, I mean, I appreciate um, their effort to really do something more meaningful than just uh, providing some modulation. Um, and I don't know how that vertical modulation that Jennifer mentioned earlier has been applied to what we see today. Um, but obviously we're gonna see more. I, I do like the idea of uh, how they treated their corner where the main lobby is. Um, so, um, you know, I think that for, for where, I mean, considering the site conditions, I think I'm okay with, um, in general, I'm okay with what they're showing. I'm just not completely convinced we need that continuous driveway I think that, um, and this is something I can relate with you, Amy. Um, I think that we've seen other projects where they have these cul-de-sacs um, to kind of like limit the extent of the paved areas. And given these, uh, and, and this is kind of like one uniqueness of this project that is connected to the uh, corridor, is that maybe the, the, the applicants, I mean, I understand that there might be some fire department requirements regarding fire lanes and all that, but maybe those could extend to a portion uh, to keep more to 
um, the use of these um, these uh, cross corridor. Uh, I mean, uh, during summer, this is used by um, bicycles a lot, and it might be a nice feature to transition. I don't know from um, the corridor to these enclosed space that can actually connect it to the 124th and uh, the 128 uh, without having kind of like the continuous driveway. But uh, I mean, one of the things that uh, we are required to uh, review as the DRB's opportunities for uh, engagement uh, with the pedestrians and uh, the connections. Um, so that's all. Well, those are some thoughts that I have. Uh, Randall, do you have any, sure. any comments? Uh, yeah, I've. The, the massing of the project bothers me. And as I look at it, and you say, okay, you look at the residential one, two, three, four, five, six, six levels, that's a plate that could go anywhere. And you take that six level plate. Now you've got a site that's got slope to it, upwards of 10 foot from the front to the back and different things like that. And none of that is reflected in the building. I mean, it's reflected around the front as to how the landscaping and everything comes up to the building and that type of thing. But when you look at the top parapet, you don't recognize any of that slope. And so when I start looking at this, I mean, the six over one format or two over two, whatever, whatever that may be, uh, lends itself very well for a flat site. This isn't a flat site. And, and so I just don't, I, I'm, I'm looking at it going like it, it's pretty massive. I mean, all you have to do is drive around to downtown Redmond and it's block after block after block of six after six over one or whatever it is. And they're straight up. And yeah, they have, they have some vertical and some horizontal articulation of back balconies and that type of thing. But all in all, when you back off and get, you know, two, three, 400 feet away, it becomes flat and they're just boxes. And so as I look at this and coming down 124th, you're, you're coming out of, okay, coming out of the valley, coming up and coming into Totem Lake District. And you're going to have 45 foot on, okay, on the south side of the street where you've got the strip malls or the strip buildings and that. Those will, you know, those are under utilization of the property now. Those will be developed over time. You go to the east of the site, you're going to go to 40 feet and yet 45 feet, but this one's somewhere around the 80 feet. The Volkswagen dealership, uh, you know, it's not going to last there forever. It will be an 80-foot one of these uh, boxes. And so I look at it, and I'm just going like, you know, it's as you come up 124th, you've got well over 260, 280 feet of essentially 80-foot facade. And yeah, they may break it up vertically every 120 feet and do, do something like that. But, you know, there's no step back in that facade. There's no, you know, there's no opening when their preferred option, there's no opening in that facade. It's just a straight facade. And so I'm, I'm, I'm some, I look at that and I'm just saying the massing on this. Now, if this was down 
in Totem Lake uh, Shopping District, the business district, where we've got a series of, of buildings that are essentially in there on flat site and are going the same elevations and this type of thing, and you've created. And as Amy pointed out, there's, you know, you start to look at this, you say, okay, pedestrian orientation. There's no pedestrian orientation here. And eventually, when something goes into the east, yeah, 128th will start to pick up a pedestrian orientation because it will be, it will be more than likely residential over one level of commercial or something of that sort. And so, so as you, as you, because that's probably the highest and best use of 124th. And then as you go to the west side, and so I'm just I'm I'm bothered by the massing because when you look at option one. And then you go look at option three, all they've done is opened up two of the donuts. And I, you know, yeah, that works. But when you go to option two, what I want to do, and this is just me personally, what I'm wanting to do is saying, okay, instead of making it, as you look at the option two on page 19, you got the 90, make it 30. So that as you go down the front of 124th, you've got actually three different facades or three different elements coming out. And maybe those step just a little bit to give the distinction, give this a distinction because this is 124th is a major arterial. There's going to be a lot of people up and down it. I, you know, that's your, essentially that's your front door. And so I, I, I have, you know, I don't know, you know, when you go from, from an option, uh, you go from the 90 or the option two to option three, you drop about 50, uh, 50 apartments. But if you fill in the east side and take a little bit out of the south side, I know that that may impact the amount of commercial on first floor. Or it may, it may give you a pedestal in there that gives open space for the residents that open actually to the south that can get more sunlight into it. Uh, because that's one thing that we haven't we haven't looked at it. We say, okay, we're saying pedestrian access and open space, and the open space on this is back towards the CKC of the site. When you take the site, they're using basically part of the site in the back there's open space, but I look at it for the residents of the apartment building. Yeah, there's a donut in the middle. And, and you know, the donut hole in the middle. And so there's not a lot of open space and that type of thing. And so I just, my, I, I, I mean, the massing bothers me because I just, as, as you, you know, if this was, if this was over the lake and closer to, you know, kind of like business district. Yeah, that's what this would, you know, you're you're narrowing down the streets and you're going through that. But when you've got a wide arterial and you're at 45 foot on both the sides, uh, it just it just seems like it's a one-off right in the middle of it. And it's, uh, I, I just have problems with it. And so that's, I, I'm not quite sure how to, Address that. That's that's yours to address. But uh, I, you know, I'm I, I'm just looking at it. 
you know, we look at this and there's a 260 foot facade, but then we go up to the old the GMC dealership that's coming out and going in next to the uh, the Montessori school or the little school there. And it actually had a less than 260 feet. And we were trying to break that up into multiple buildings. And so, so I, I, consistency here doesn't seem to be here. It's just, and, and it's a matter that I just, I just look at that on 124th, maybe 124th is a big enough arterial that, yeah, you need to just put that side of the building on the 124th and that's it. But I don't think so. I think, I think we could get a better design if we'd look at that. So that, that's just my observations and comments. So what I'm getting is that uh, you feel that the um, presented options do not offer enough variety in terms of modulation to make a, a decision. Yeah, uh, one and three are too much the same. And then I'm just looking at it that, yeah, I think option number two, but again, if you could still open up the front along 124th and just get uh, because eventually, you know, eventually, once you get more residential going down along to the east and to the west, uh, yeah, it's going to become more pedestrian. And then you've got the CKC in the backside. You know, hopefully it becomes more pedestrian. But I, you know, that's further down the road. Hang on a second here. Yeah. Um, I think it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I brought up that since the beginning, uh, that option one and option three are very similar. And uh, what I'm also concerned is that there are like the key advantages of this project is the relationship with the lake. And it seems that uh, these uh, modulation or these massing options are only addressing 124, but uh, whenever you look at um, the small uh, perspectives that they have for the view from the uh, CKC, it's pretty much the, the building is casting a shadow all over the um, the corridor. So there's a chance maybe that the building could open more towards the lake view or provide some sort of break that could um, be less... Um, Intrusive, but more um, more engaging with with the pedestrians would be nice. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what you think, Shoshana, about this. Do you have any comments? Um, well, I just think it's uh, a little premature uh, for me to make uh, an educated uh, decision because I kind of feel like um, there are a lot of very um, valid points to talk about uh, and it doesn't seem like it's solved. So um, overall, I don't have a problem with uh, the proposed alternative, but uh, as mentioned here before, this is, especially on the 124, this is a, a pedestrian area. And this is something that even I 
uh, uses a pedestrian area because there are some anchor points there that um, even us as a family use. So I can totally relate to the fact that uh, I don't see how it is uh, friendly or activated. I can see the connection to the corridor and I believe that the board members talked enough about that, but um, I'm more concerned as my experience as pedestrian. And also, I don't think I have seen enough um, design cues with the building for, with the buildings opposite the street. Uh, we have some uh, developments there and um, it is kind of interesting for me to see how they relate because even if you drive the car as you approach from the um, the 405 exit, so there is some kind of a rhythm that is established once you cross the, the bridge. And I'm kind of wondering how this development falls in line with the surrounding buildings. I don't think I've seen any kind of relation to that. So this is why I'm saying it's premature for me um, to talk about that, not in terms of height and not in terms of, uh, like mentioned before, solar study. And yeah, it's just too early for me. So would you like, um, so we need to provide some guidance to the client uh, for the next meeting. And um, I'm guessing that you're um, gearing more towards massing a modulation. Um, did any of these options satisfy? Um, so, yeah, I would need massing and modulation to, to kind of understand more where this is going and also a little bit more of an idea about the open spaces and uh, the retail spaces. I mean, when we say that these are pedestrian friendly, are we going to have like, uh, I don't know, restaurants and coffee shops or just like a grocery store? Like what is the vision there? Because even if we don't have tenants there, we might already have a vision and see how that works. Is it going to be, you know, are we going to incorporate some, you know, local, um, as we said, landscape, benches, uh, statues, whatever it is that kind of makes you feel like this is part of uh, a community, this is providing us uh, a superior design, some kind of an experience, right? This would be my question, like what is the experience of, even on you know a macro level of amassing, what is our experience as, our, as pedestrians over there? And that's what I'm missing. Right, kind of like the massing to react to the use that is proposed. And in this case, um, it's heavily for pedestrian um, uh, experience. Is that uh, just engagement and connectivity? And landscape, of course, and lighting, yes. All of that. But that's premature for that. Yeah. yeah, I would say that the landscape, the open spaces and the connecting point, yes. So if we kind of like summarize this would be uh, for the applicant to present these options or develop, I don't know if you want to develop uh, option one or two or three if you have any preference or if they need to like come back with um, um, more reactive uh, options or massing. 
I would say that on paper, option three looks like uh, the most attractive option. But uh, as when it comes to massing, overall massing, but I would still, and you know, the way they present their pros and cons, but I would still appreciate some more details with that in terms of modulation, uh, again, landscaping, how they kind of envision that, because there are a lot of, uh, a lot of interaction points with, okay. with the corridor, with the Southern, with the 124th, with the Le Schwab, with the Volkswagen, there are too many interaction points. So I don't know. I'm missing okay. all that information. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, Fatima? Um, I, I, am, I agree with what Shoshana just said. Um, if you look on paper, I would agree with, yeah. The, if you just look on paper, I would like the option number three, but then I would like to know the relations because when you, there's nothing like that on that side at, as of now, when you drive down there. So, you know, with relation to the sites outside it, I would like to see some real connections and also, of course the pedestrian uh, experience, what it would be like. So yeah, most of what Shoshana said, I, I agree with that. Thank okay. you. And, and in terms of like these three massing options, you don't feel um, that uh, ready to take a decision on which one to pick, right? Because from what I've been hearing, um, I think that uh, Shoshana and you and probably I can relate that the three options we that we were presented, one is uh, more developed than the other two, which yes. kind of like doesn't really um, bring uh, some level of fairness to, to this because we are basically drawn to kind of like approve one option rather than the others. But the others, from what I've been hearing, they are lacking of connection or engagement to pedestrian or the uses that are being proposed. Yes, and and to their, as you said, they've not been fine-tuned. The uh, third one, they, it's been a little fine-tuned, but option one and two, uh, not so much. And even with option three, uh, I, I would still want to know more about the experiences outside. It's, it looks like a very big mass, but you know, connection to the uh, other sites around it, I would like to know more on that. Uh, but on paper, yes, I would say number three option. Thank you, Fatima. Um, I see a couple of cans raised. I'll let Tyler uh, talk first, and then David, we can listen to your comments. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Carlos. And thank you guys again for the, uh, the patience and, and uh, letting us go through the guidance. So just to also convey what Shoshana was saying is that it is definitely, you guys, I highly encourage you guys to look at the flow of that area. Um, just like Shoshana, I, you know, my house is right up the street from there. So I know the traffic and I know the construction and I know a lot of the businesses that are associated across the street, along with the businesses that are close to you right next door. So that's another area I really will encourage you guys to work and investigate is, is how you guys are going to be able to create this in order to flow with all the other businesses that are surrounding because I can give you a very quick example. There was a building that was established, a uh, small, I think, affordable housing apartments that were built um, just a few streets, or I'm sorry, not a few streets, a few 
buildings down from you guys. And when it was going through construction, it caused major chaos for the area because it was not an easy place for you to turn in and to get out of, especially in such a busy area. So again, to, in order to offer safety, especially because you guys are also next to uh, two different car dealerships and people are coming out there to test cars and me for having two sports cars myself, I like to drive fast and that's one of my areas I like to go. So it's definitely you want to make sure that you're coinciding with the other businesses that you have around you in order to keep that flow going because that can become a very congested area. The other part too is yes, the options that we see there are very similar. One, two, and three look very similar, even though option three does have more in-depth detail that we see there. I know you guys are working with a challenging part and I know that you're working with a challenging structured area there, but if there is some way that you guys can possibly construct a way to make it seem less like Randall was saying, um, just invasive as far as an eye perspective, if you can give off the illusion, maybe it's separated, at least in the front area when you're driving through, that can offer some options there as well. You know, maybe offering some greenery around there, just making it seem like it's, or giving off the illusion, it's more separated. And then, like I said, again, you know, if, if the businesses that you see around are these businesses that are going to go into your place, is it going to be like a restaurant? Is it going to be retail? How is it going to coincide? Um, so that's basically all that I have for you guys. Thank you, Taylor. Um, David, uh, do you want to mention? Oh, just let me give the word to Amy. <laughs> I'll give that to you. I'm uh, okay. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to get some clarification um, in listening to all the uh, board members. It seems like. Uh, you know, uh, you, you are definitely, um, you know, uh, focusing and rightly so on the pedestrian experience. Um, and I'm just kind of confused with the buffer requirements because the buffer requirements based on what Jennifer explained earlier was meant to mitigate the um, industrial uses that are on the north and on the east and are, um, and and, and can um, Jennifer, can you clarify, are, are those uses gonna go away and are they gonna become mixed use uh, residential projects in the future also? Because then why do we need a buffer? I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, I hadn't looked to see if we have anything. I don't think that they're currently up for redevelopment. Um, but are they zoned to allow for uh, you know, the mixed use residential. Oh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of to, okay. to Randall's point a little bit, like specifically to the West, right, right adjacent there, it's the same zoning as the subject right. property. So they would have the same kind of permitted uses, the same sure. height. All I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What about the North and the East? The North and the East are um, more industrial in space. Let me, I would need just a minute. Let me pull up and see kind of how those parameters shift. And the north is the CKC, so. Uh, yeah, I think that the CKC buffers it from uh, other uses, right? Yeah, it does, especially, you know, and there's a little bit of, of grade there in vegetation. Mm -hmm. So I was just pulling up at least specifically what's right north on the other side of the CKC. So maybe it's just the east? that's going to stay industrial 
Well, the east is another right of way, another road. Well, what's across it? Yeah. And did a quick look and to the north. So the north is also kind of having a lot of those more industrial uses. There's not the the mixed use residential in the same way that there is for the subject property zone. So that's but, not to say that it wouldn't be. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, but the CKC basically uh, effectively buffers this residential from all those industrial. Yeah, it functions as a little bit of a buffer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, I just wanted to say, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate what Ryan, Randall said um, about the masking and how, you know, and one of the things that, and this is, I'm, I'm trying, just picking the brains of the DRB here. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought is, um, you know, I wonder if we can at least get an idea of like, what is the footprint of the buildings in the Totem Lake Village versus what they're showing here. Um, you know, because I really like the scale of the buildings at Totem Lake Village. And, um, you know, that would help give us an idea, right? As far as are they, you know, are they um, providing the right scale that, that we can feel comfortable with and that is pedestrian friendly. So that may be one idea as far as what they can do, um, you know, just doing a massing comparison or a footprint comparison. Um, the other thing that I thought is, um, you know, I, I, again, going back to this buffer requirement on Northeast 128, if you're gonna put a buffer there, I don't really know how you're gonna put a buffer and then make that pedestrian friendly. And, um, you know, and that's where I'm not really sure, maybe we should, as a board, decide what, which one is the better treatment for Northeast 128. Yeah, Northeast 128 is a really long um, street just to walk from the cross corridor to 124th, and maybe is. The, the pedestrian use is more focused on bicycle. I don't know if that could be something added, an added value that can create engagement and connectivity with um, kind of like the use of that area. Um, I, I, David, you wanted to say a couple of words? Yeah, uh, just I was taking notes as everybody um, had commented. So first of all, thank you for your, your comments and your time. Um, just going to start from the bottom and kind of go up a, a little bit. Um, I think in in what you guys ha have seen here, especially on the south um, southeast corner, you know, we, we do really envision something that's kind of a, a public-private green space, right? In, in, in that corner, um, it is a little bit wider than the, the minimum 15-foot side back. And obviously, based off the modulation of the building, as you head north to the CKC, that changes. But we're looking at, I don't want to say a, a park, but at least kind of a greenscape that would be um, a showcase corner as you're heading east, on on 124th where that greenscape kind of uh lifts up on onto that massive um 
corner of our building that kind of opens up. So leading to, uh, you know, both a, a vehicular, uh, what am I looking for? A, a vehicular escape as you're driving by, but also a pedestrian. And then there was a question on getting some additional information on, on what we're proposing in, in terms of the commercial space along 124th. Uh, I agree there's obviously a, a lot um, more work that we can put into that, but I think the, the vision would be to have those coffee shops, right? As Sean had kind of mentioned when he laid that out, you do have this setback and this ability to walk right off of 124th current right-of-way and into our commercial space. Whereas currently you have a sidewalk and then a retaining wall that drops off eight feet, right? And so trying to connect that building to the commercial space is absolutely what we're trying to do. Um, do I see that as a grocery store? No, I, I think that poses a lot of other issues just in terms of uh, access to the site, uh, the ability to drop off um, you know, all of the, the fresh produce or just in general, all, all the merchandise that's needed for a, a grocery store there, and then also provide the, the parking for it. Um, but a coffee shop or, or some small restaurants, uh, we, we have a broker that we're dealing with on, on another site that we have brought on board. Um, and so, you know, they've mentioned that we want to provide a you know, a type type one hood for you know one third to half of the individual uh, uh, commercial spaces that those commercial spaces now are getting a little bit more condensed to help them uh, be more feasible. Uh, you know, the last thing I think the city wants or what we want is to have uh, you know some some uh, vacant commercial space uh, along 124th. So at 13,000 square feet or approximately. You know, we'll, we'll probably have eight or nine uh, divisible areas for, for that commercial space. So approximately 1,500 square feet with three or four of them being built out for, you know, some kind of coffee shop or um, uh, restaurant. Um, on, on the, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just, uh, the reason, uh, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but the reason I was, um, asking and it is important to me as someone who experiences this space or used to experience this space a lot is because uh, we have a kind of, a, it's, it's kind of a hub where you have on the, across the street on the 128th behind the Le Schwab, you have um, the gymnastics uh, place, Northwest Aerials, and then you have the Jiu-Jitsu place. And these are places that are, you know, twins and teens are going and then they cross the street to uh, the Kitanda place that they have over there. Sometimes some of them walk and they walk with their corkinets and whatnot. So this is kind of, you know, uh, very important to determine if there are going to be, you know, any coffee shops or whatever that they are going to visit, that affects a lot on the eastern side of the building and how it connects to the corridor and how they cross the street. So uh, that is something that if we know in advance will help us very much envision what is going on to be, what is going to be there and how the interaction goes. And I'm sorry, I bothered you. No, I, I appreciate that. I think that there's some consideration there. Um, you know, if Granted, we have a, a street of 128th on the east side, 
right? And then you have an existing car dealership to to the east of that. So it's not really sure you can consider it light industrial or commercial, um, but 124th is a major corridor. The city has rezoned 124th on the north side for redevelopment. So, you know, the way that I see, you know, our project coming in, though it may be, you know, large in scale currently, will likely be probably small in scale, you know, in the next uh, development iteration. The the zoning there allows for 80 feet above uh, ground. We're only going up 60, what, 69 and change. So there's a potential for the scale based off of your guys' zoning code to go even higher than what we're even proposing. So going back to, going back to the, the uh, landscaping buffer, though, I agree with you. You know, there, there is some opportunity to have some either pedestrian or uh, maybe bicycle uh, connection from our southeast corner up to the CDC. But there should, I think, have some consideration. Maybe we increase the, the width of uh, the sidewalk, right? That's above and, and beyond what the city requirements are to allow people to pass easily. But should there be that requirement in addition to 15 feet of, of type one landscaping? Why can't those two be intermixed? So you actually get a great experience walking north where you don't have to have an eight foot sidewalk and then 15 feet of, of landscaping. I think that there can be some consideration to actually get, you know, a, a nice little promenade that, that connects you from that Southeast corner up to the CDC. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I heard you, David, and uh, I guess that's just uh, for the continuation of the deliberation. I, I appreciate your comments. I think that that's a good point. Uh, what you brought in terms of like how uh, these uh, massing reacts to the different uses and the different uh, vantage points. Uh, from what I'm getting from the consensus from the board is that we are not ready to uh, pick an option. And uh, um, here the applicant needs to um, get um, Get additional direction on how to like uh, address this. What I from what I got from everyone seems that uh, we are looking for the massing to react to the pedestrian connections and uh, the interactions. Uh, part of uh, the guidelines for vertical modulation and horizontal modulation is that these react to. Um, uh, um, features such as streets, plazas, or residential areas. I see I see that uh, there's an intent for the residential area, but um, the residential is, is private. Uh, we are looking at a pedestrian experience level. Uh, the, the, the plaza, I, I see the intent of the plaza on the option three, in option three, but option one and option two do not depict that uh, how the massing reacts to that, and and board, correct me if I'm uh, if um, you guys agree or disagree with this, but uh, feel that what we are uh, lacking of uh, is just how these massing options react. We we, we don't want to uh, see just like volumes, uh, but we want to understand what's the purpose of each option, how that integrates, how that reacts, if there's a change with the use of the of certain part of the building, and what that brings of difference with the other two options we're seeing. And I, I, I believe that to, tonight we've seen three options, which uh, the third is the one that has a defined plaza, but the other two do not, um, do not uh, really 
kind of like talk to us about what's happening or what's the what's the connection. I I um I've been hearing all night that there's this relationship with the CKC. There's a design to place uh, some landscape green areas at the uh, north portion of the property, but still, uh, Amy brought a good point. Uh, is is the uh, driveway really needed, or can that bring more interest by making that a pedestrian level? And uh, that's up to the the applicant. Uh, here, we're kind of like um, to um, guide you or help you. Um, get a proper design that works in terms of, of massing, modulation, connection, engagement. And uh, these, build, these areas will be redeveloped, the, the properties on the east and west probably. And uh, we just wanna make sure that the building um, is one of the developments that sets the tone to what this should be, should like, should, um, be like and should depict the the connectivity. So, board, uh, do you agree with me that um, we um, should um, push for continuation of this meeting and request the applicant to provide um, massing that reacts to the use and, and identify um, these um, spaces, key spaces such as plazas, residential areas? And the street connections. I would agree to that, Carlos. I think that's a great explanation. And uh, I just want to add, the, uh, David and Sean, that uh, there's a really close relationship with the CKC at the back. We've seen um, a lot of views. Kind of like the main views are from the corner of 124 and 128, but uh, what we are also interested to see is how is the scale from the CKC at the back. So um, seems that you guys have already some sort of massing uh, uh, in 3D. If there's a chance that you could provide some sections of these three massings uh, at the north of the property, uh, depicting the building massing, the CKC and the buffer, that would be ideal for us to understand how this integrates and, and engages uh, the CKC. Yeah, we can provide those as well. Okay. Um, uh, are any of these um, comments clear or do you need clarification on any of those? I, I would like a, a little bit of clarification and, and forgive me, but that, what would you suggest as as something that we could do more than we're already offering to do as far as a, a pedestrian interaction goes uh, with this site? I, I don't see any other developers providing dog parks and publicly accessible parks and, and you know, pervious trails and, you know, ADA access to the CKC and additional access to the CKC and places for people to exercise and places for people to store their bikes. And right. it just, you know, it, so what more does the DRB need from us in order to, to move this forward? So um, for us to understand these, uh, I've seen the, the, the diagrams and I think the board uh, has seen the diagrams and uh, understood what you guys are planning in terms of connections. You have identified that you want a connection on the 
west and north of the property. Um, what we are asking is how is the massing interacting with these elements? Uh, the, 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 the conceptual design conference basically for us to uh, evaluate three different options that you present. And uh, we're really seeing one, uh, one option, with, which is one, uh, one representation of what you guys are trying to aim. We haven't seen uh, how the other two massings are different from the third one. Uh, if uh, the connection, the engagement to the, uh, the public uh, is different, if it changes, uh, I don't know if there's been a study of like, uh, okay, maybe um, uh, um, making more use of the corner of 124th and 128 instead of having everything, all the retail on 124 would be ideal. Maybe a plaza, different shape of plaza that can react with the massing of the building. Uh, the modulation, the, the option one presents a very flat modulation and really doesn't uh, talk to us a lot on how that's different from the third one other than the third one has different parapet labels and there's like a break on the ends, but that's uh, the only difference. So what we're really asking here is we wanna see a massing that reacts to the use and the, the, the pedestrian use in this area, whether like you guys propose, okay, um, the on 128, um, this type of feature such as a bike lane or such as a pedestrian use or such uh, pockets that um, kind of like break that long uh, street are created and interact with the massing. Well, that's up to you guys, uh, but, uh, we, we are really seeing here very long facades that um, have the same massing, different type of articulation, but with the slight variations. We'd like to see more variations and understand um, how the building is reacting in three different ways uh, to, to what is being proposed. Carlos, I mean, I, I hear you. The, I guess the frustrating part from us as a developer is we've met the intent you know of the code that you have in place if you want to see more modulation then maybe there should be an update to the code to say that you want modulation every 50 feet or 60 feet though it says 120 and we've done that and so i get that uh you know there there is some requests from some of the other board members for other types of uh, facade break, you know, based off of concerns like like Randall had mentioned, you know, based off of the overall scale of what's currently there and what could potentially be there. And, and I understand everybody's opinion. It's just, if you guys want to see more of that, I would, I would encourage the city to put more of that language then in your guys' code so then we can follow that accordingly. Because currently, I think that we've met the intent of what's needed for, for this meeting to see this through. And then we can design that and, and give you additional uh, information as we actually have you know, a single design that we can put more time and effort into. But to go and go do that on three different iterations now, even though we meet the intent of the city is, is just very frustrating to hear. I uh, know, I, I, and I kind of like understand, but uh, from that point, uh, our job is to make sure that the guidelines are met. 
so page 40, 32 of the design guidelines for Tottenham Lake Business District uh, uh, talk about encourage vertical modulation, encourage variety of horizontal modulation, and uh, encourage variety of roofline modulation techniques. I don't see the roofline modulation techniques in option one. Then it talks about engagement with uh, the pedestrians. It talks about plazas. It talks about uh, uh, street corners. Uh, for those uh, two options that you presented, option one and option two, uh, for the board is not clear um, how that's uh, being addressed and uh, how um, the pedestrian connection, the modulation and uh, the um, intent uh, to create uh, engagement, uh, to get engaged with the with the with the with the other buildings is is done. We're currently only seeing one 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 building, and we are not asking you to like go back and like redo everything, but maybe start adding those uh, vantage points that you see, uh, and and maybe that's going to help like just uh, clean the design. Not you, you don't have to like go to the full extent of adding windows and adding uh, other elements, but at least um, give us uh, different options that present different uh, vantage points uh, so we can make a determination on those. And we can tell you, okay, uh, you try to break the 128 uh, street, that's kind of like good because uh, you have uh, whether like uh, pockets for um, pedestrian amenities such as benches, you have uh, maybe the buffer, uh, can be breaked with like um, I, I don't know a bike path, uh, a bike path, uh, and that's kind of like relating again to this type of area. And we then for that, then you are adding value to 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 the design uh, rather than um, kind of like just going with the standard. I know that it's tough, and you guys have like a, a, a program that you need to meet. But for some of these uh, requests for the uh, variation of the landscape buffer, we we got we gotta see uh, what's being uh, granted to to the pedestrian experience, and maybe it's uh, you communicating us uh, how these uh, small variations are helping or giving kind of like a different perspective to the building rather than us looking at uh, different stages of uh, massings that. Uh, Really don't don't align and and you have like great points with uh, option three, but we want to see more engagement. We want to understand what's kind of like the intent behind those like plazas. Understand like okay, the plaza has like certain type of depth, certain type of shape. It's reacting to the massing, and it's providing weather protection. Those type of things that are spelled out in the design guidelines can kind of like help you and give you a better path for us to kind of like um, move on with the next stage of the, the um, board meeting, so. Okay. Does that help? Yeah, no, I, I hear you and, and I, we understand. We can get you some information for what you're, what you're requesting. Thank you very much. Tyler, uh, is there anything else you wanna add? Um, all I was just gonna say, just suggestion wise so that we can get to the root of it um, and, and get ready for uh, the next conversation that we have with them is I'm just proposing how uh, we have them take, we've already agreed that number three is the one that we want to work with based off of all the information that we have. Can we request to have them give us two other examples based off of number three with things that we are asking to make it more easier for them to work with us and 
and us to get a better picture. Again, what, what we're going back, David, is uh, just help us understand that the other options have been like uh, studied and developed and they have a purpose and intent. Uh, you guys are going uh, for a, a variation. So we need to see the added value to this. And uh, maybe it's just making uh, this or going a little bit further into the design. You don't need to be specific, but you can be, okay, I'm going to be creating this. This is going to bring value to the pedestrian experience. It's going to bring value to the corner because uh, uh, the volume um, is aiming to showcase something or we are um, bringing down the scale at the back just to like be more uh, thoughtful with the CKC or we're adding lands uh, additional landscape buffer, additional uh, type of planting. I know that one of the asks uh, or one of the things that uh, you'll need to show for the um, design response conference is the vegetative uh, buffer standards, landscape buffer, uh, ground uh, floor. Well, you are showing some of the ground floor retail requirements, but still we want to see different variations so we can um, provide um, feedback on those three. Sounds good. Yes, yeah, sorry, my uh, watch is just going off. But yes, <laughs> we, we, will, we will get those responses back to you. Thank you. And uh, staff, um, is that uh, good enough feedback for the applicant? Or do you guys need any anything else to clarify? I um, yeah, I have a I have a good list, and I think it's matching well with what you're saying, Carlos. Um, a little bit of clarification, just to make sure. Um, you had made a note talking about kind of the landscape buffers, and particularly on the CKC, getting more vantage points up there. So building buffer. Um, all that good stuff. Is there anything that the board specifically is wanting to see also for that east and west buffer? They each kind of have their own, I guess, uh, I don't want to say issues because it's not an issue, but right, one's against the right-of-way, one we have our adjoining, right. one against the CKC. Right. Is, there, is there anything that you guys are specifically wanting to see? Well, I, I guess that this is going to be uh, for the applicant to demonstrate uh, they want to request a variation uh, for the um, for the west uh, buffer, right? Yes. I'm correct if I'm wrong. Uh, I'm right. Okay. Um, so I guess that it's just bringing that added value. If uh, the um, if the east is kind of like reacting to those and bringing more interest and more uh, engagement to uh, the pedestrians, uh, then we would like to hear about it. We, we would like to see how uh, they are treating that. And uh, if there are like just key items that they are going to be focusing on for the next uh, meetings, then it's just worth to see. Amy, do you have something to say? Yeah, I also wanted to um, uh, request that uh, we get, um, you know, in terms of understanding the buffers and the pedestrian or, you know, engagement. Uh, one thing that I'm struggling with is um, really imagining the elevation changes mm. or the grade changes. So if, if we can see like where exactly does your garage floor start versus where is the sidewalk? And then again, uh, at the CKC side, you know, I know you're showing ramps and stairs, you know, you know, we'd like to see where is the ground floor of your building versus where the sidewalks are. 
and, so and again, David, help. yeah, uh, uh, that's a good point, Amy. I, again, David, you don't need to like develop sections of all the corners. It's only the main items, the critical items, I guess that we would like just to see one with the adjacent neighbor on the uh, west side at the back. Uh, and the back, you, you have the CKC. So there's kind of like um, a relationship with that. But we, we just went, if you have the massing, it's, it's just like a matter of like showing us how the building is reacting to those elements. And if that's bringing a, a additional value or if you are kind of like giving more emphasis to uh, the pedestrian experience in some areas, that, that will help us make a determination on how um, we're gonna proceed for the next meetings. All right. Uh, yeah. Sean, anything else? No, I think we've got a lot of feedback to uh, consider. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And uh, staff, do, do we need to set a day for next meeting or is the applicant going to um, no, discuss that with you guys directly? Yeah, they'll just coordinate with Jen and then get on the next available agenda that works for them. If you, if you can set it right now, we're we're all for it. <laughs> oh well it's not required for the okay. conceptual conference it's since it's like a pre-meeting with the board um we'll just schedule it when you guys are ready and the next available meeting so just okay. coordinate with jen thanks john yep all right okay well, uh, thank you very much and uh thanks for presenting we really appreciate it Thank you. Have a good night. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Uh, so um, the second item in the agenda, we have the Kirkland CKC townhomes. Um, and I'll let the staff just uh, give us a brief introduction if, if you guys already have prepared about the decision that uh, was taken. Uh, yes, I'll give a quick presentation um, so we can pick up where we left off last time. Thank you, Ken. All right, can everybody see my screen? Yes. Great. All right. Uh, well, yes, as Carlos said, the next meeting agenda item for tonight is the continuation of the design response conference for the Kirkland CKC project with the applicant David Morris of Toll Brothers. So the goals for tonight's meetings are to summarize staff findings on the DRB authority and design review guidelines, continue to discuss topics identified by DRB members, continue to deliberate on the applicant's proposal, and to provide feedback to the applicant. So at the design response conference for the Toll Brothers CKC townhome project held on January 23rd, questions were raised as to whether the proposal met the Totem Lake Business District guidelines and if the proposal could continue forward in its current form. The DRB requested planning staff to analyze the city's design guidelines pertaining to the Totem Lake Business District and give guidance to the design review board on what their authority is in requiring the applicant to provide additional commercial space in the development. The city has adopted a number of business district guideline documents that set forth a series of design guidelines that are to be used by the city in the design review board process. 
The zoning code requires that at the design response conference, the DRB shall decide whether the applicant application complies with the requirements specified in the relevant design guidelines. The Totem Lake Business District Design Guidelines document is structured in a manner that includes design guidelines and contextual information about the district. The document begins with the contextual information, which contains the overall vision for the district, design concepts for the district, and visions for specific zones, sites, and public infrastructure within the district. The remainder of the document, which starts on page 11, are the design guidelines. This is where the authority of the board lies. The design guidelines focus on aesthetic design issues and how design relates to function of the project. As written, the design guidelines do not give the DRB the authority to require a certain amount of commercial square footage or dictate a development type, such as a podium building. That authority lies in the zoning code and with the planning official reviewing the project. In this instance, the zoning code neither requires a minimum amount of commercial space, commercial square footage, nor does it require a podium style development. While this is true, staff empathizes with the DRB members' stance that this project is not in sync with the vision presented in the comprehensive plan and design guidelines for the TL-10E zone and recognize that while the project is compliant with the zoning regulations, the zoning regulations themselves do not totally implement the stated vision. Therefore, staff will be working on updating this section of the zoning code with future zoning code revisions. So tonight's DRB actions should be to discuss questions posed by planning by planning department staff in, in the staff report, weigh in on the minor variation request from the applicant, and either approve, approve with conditions, or continue the design response conference in a future meeting. All right. That's the end of the presentation, and I hand it back to you, Carlos. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, just uh, one uh, last question to you. So uh, now we'll proceed with deliberation, right? And provide um, clarification, well, additional comments to the uh, applicant or whether if we're re prepared to approve or... I think approve. we wanted to give uh, the applicant a moment to... Um, well. I would like to give you guys a, a moment to ask me any questions about uh, the information I had researched. And then we'd also like to give this uh, applicant a moment to answer some of the questions you had posed to, to them in the previous meeting. Okay. Um, is it Brad, you have the hand raised. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think in the last meeting, I was one of the loudest proponents uh, or like opponents, you know, and bringing up the fact that the zoning code and the design guidelines weren't in sync. So, Kyle, you're saying that unless there is something explicitly mentioned in the design guidelines, like a required height or required size of a commercial development, then we can't require or apply the design guidelines? Because it seems like at that point, the design review board's really hampered in what it can view and judge a project on if it meets the zoning code. Yeah, it seems like it effectively makes the design guidelines pretty toothless unless it's very explicit about a requirement. At which point, why would you need design review board? Because it's explicit. But that's that's essentially my question: is what role are we supposed to be judging this on, if not the 
design neighborhood design guidelines. Yeah, so you know, the way this is supposed to work is, you know, the applicant provides uh, a proposal that you guys have discussed in a conceptual design conference, and then subsequently is brought to the planning department. And we do things like, you know, zoning compliance reviews, which we've done in this this case, and where the uh, design review review board comes in at this point at the DRC is to make sure that the proposal is in line with the design review guidelines and um, yeah, things like commercial space uses that all falls under the zoning code and really the design review guidelines are more tools for you guys to use to um you know, shape the projects that um i'm trying to find a good way to say this um essentially just using the design review guidelines to um respond to what the applicant has proposed to you, um, as opposed to, um, yeah, where I step in with the zoning code with um, height requirements and uses and square footage requirements, etc. Yeah, well, I mean, there was no question that their application met the zoning codes. You know, like they did a good job with all that. I I just didn't think it met the design guidelines for the neighborhood. But you're saying that we can't you know that are uh, or i guess my you know objections were not based on the design review guidelines but i yeah, I, I felt that they were but if, if we don't review it on that then there's nothing to object to and i think much of the comments were coming from um from portions of the design review guidelines that are more the introductory statements that are pulled from the comprehensive plan rather than the actual design guidelines than design guidelines themselves, if that makes sense. So those visionary statements aren't really um, supposed to be used as the design guidelines. Those are more just stating from the comprehensive plan what the city um, envisions this area to become. So it's, I mean, this could be a separate topic without you know the applicant because it's it's more my questions on the city procedure you know and how they viewed the design review board being used so we're just viewing and judging projects based on color and material um some of the neighborhood design guidelines talk about a, a public you know space or plaza or artwork um those are just the things that we're supposed to determine um because if i recall not just beyond vision statements there was talk about like a cohesive, uh, like neighborhoods and central streets and things like that. Um, and that's some of, um, you know, what I was thinking about when I said I wasn't sure that this project met the neighborhood guidelines. So those sorts of statements. So I'm just not sure which statements within an, the design guidelines for neighborhood apply and which ones don't. Yeah, so I guess this is my confusion. Starting on page 11 of that document is where the design guidelines begin. And so we list out the objectives um, for certain um, certain treatments we want for buildings. We have a discussion as to why we want them. And then the subsequent guidelines come after those. And those are the guidelines here um, to be judging the projects upon. And above that is kind of more the visionary statement pulled a lot from the comprehensive plan documents like that. 
Do you have any other questions, Brian? Uh, no, this is going to take some time to process. So I think I'm done for now. I can let, I see Amy's got her hand raised. Thank you, Amy. So uh, I, I do have some other things to contribute in that discussion, but I don't think this is the forum for that. I think you're right, Brad, this is between the DRB and the staff. And maybe at the end of our review for uh, the, CK, the CKC townhouse project, you know, we can set aside the time to continue that conversation. Um, but I do have some specific questions uh, to staff. Uh, now that they provided me with uh, the design guidelines, I dutifully went through everything to see which ones I could actually use to uh, provide guidance to the applicant. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I, I'm not quite sure how the sign section, uh, um, you know, I, I would like to get some guidance from staff as to how to apply the sign design guidelines. I'll try to weigh in, Amy. Mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> I don't have that, got those guidelines memorized, but generally the board, um, let's see, I think the, I think the sign guidelines deal primarily with what, um, you know, basically getting nice looking signs that complement the proposal and project. And um, with projects in the past, I think the board, if if there is a concern, the board will raise it. And, you know, comments I've heard in the past were like, oh, we want to make sure this style of building, we want to make sure the signs complement it, things like that in terms of materials, et cetera. And those kind of um, conditions can be made uh, as part of the approval. Um, some projects, some of the larger projects require master sign plans anyway, so we get it through that process. But if like this project, typically it just, as long as it complied with our sign code, you know, they'd be able to, you know, certain size, certain locations, there's certain height limits for pedestal signs, that kind of thing. But we won't get into things like materials or compatibility. So if the board wants to weigh in on that, that's certainly possible given the guidelines, how they're written. Um, and we would just make them a condition of approval. So our, our design guidelines give us enough authority to do yeah, that. I think that I think they do from what I recall. Okay. Um, and then some other questions. This is kind of a follow-up from last meeting. Um, the staff report mentioned that um, uh, the uh, uh, the wetland buffer averaging is, is going to be uh, is still work being worked out, and so um, you know, just wanted to uh, and and I you know I I asked Tyler um, yeah Tyler this question earlier, but. Just for the sake of the DRB, I think, um, you know, um, can you just clarify, like, um, in timing-wise, when can we approve this project, considering there's um, some, you know, um, you know, circulation, transportation, frontage improvements, or whatever other requirements there are that could affect the site? Um, you know, at what point uh, does staff give us kind of a guidance as to, you know, now you can approve these because we've resolved all these other things and, um, 
what you're seeing on the site plan is that you know is you know at a point where um, we're eighty percent sure that that's how it's going to go. And so, uh, John, feel free to step in if I'm giving incorrect info, but. Yeah, the buffer averaging request is still being worked out at the moment. Um, you guys could give, you know, a verbal approval tonight of the project, but we could not give an official written approval for the project until the buffer averaging request is completed. If that makes sense. I thought that the DRB votes and when we vote that that's our approval. How is it that staff can, I mean, is so after we approve, we, staff also approves? So, so Kyle, the, the buffer averaging request is, uh, it's a planning official decision, correct? Correct. Okay. So the way it would work is if the board were to approve this project with conditions, one of the conditions would hinge on approval of the buffer mod by staff. So it's contingent. So there is a risk to the applicant. So if, for example, if whatever reason the, the buffer averaging request was denied and the applicant would have to go back to the you know drawing board and revise their site plan, that would trigger because then their project would not then be consistent with the approval. And that would trigger probably another design review process or application at that point. Um, if, if it resulted in a significant uh, redesign. Um, so they'd have to start over. Hmm. Okay. Um, and then my other question uh, for the stream corridor, uh, that 100 foot area, are they, are they allowed to use that as recreation space or that has to be completely um, uh, fenced off for any kind of, you know, human use or dog use. Um, I'd have to look back at the requirement for that. John, do you know off the top of your head? I think the way that, yeah, I think you just have to look up that code again, Kyle, and read it out. Yeah. Because the purpose of that area is to eventually, you know, if ever the that stream were to be daylighted, there would be enough room for the that currently as is, there would not be a technically a required buffer there. So yeah, Carlos? that's why that's why I was curious because if it's still um pipe, right? There mm -hmm. could be an opportunity to use it temporarily for open space. Carlos, I think I see Aaron's hands raised. Yeah, I see. It. Okay. Uh, is he with the uh, applicant's team? Yes, he is. Yeah, Aaron Haltonbury with Toll Brothers. Uh, good evening. Um, I wasn't participating on the panel uh, last meeting, but I was in attendance. Um, so, John, we had um, we had agreed to um, the the grading that's going to be done there right now is kind of an interim grading and eventually um, setting things up so that the city could excavate that area out and um, daylight that stream at some point in the future. And so we were trying to keep improvements there minor and down to 
primarily just landscaping so that there was less opportunity for objection from the uh, condominium owners association having issues with they thought they were getting a park but it's not a park it's going to become a stream at some point in the future and so we were trying to set expectations so our our plan would be that it would only be landscaped at this point and and aaron i have just a quick question for you are are you um planning for this area to be protected with some sort of fence Yes, we are. We're putting a split rail fence along it. Thank you, David. Hmm. That's not a city requirement, right? That's basically for just something you guys chose to do. That's correct. Well, it was a concern as we were talking with staff about how to handle the, the whole stream corridor issue is kind of touchy how that, that all gets taken care of. And there's quite a bit of design and effort that's gone into, we're essentially building a bridge over a stream that's not there at this point, mm -hmm. that's in a culvert. Um, and so as we were working with staff through the, how we were going to handle that situation, um there was a concern both of ours and of the city that um that there would be um you know if we made that into i mean it's a great place for a rec space and we'd love to do that right in the middle of the the community but um we were very concerned that people are going to feel like we pulled the bait and switch on them um if we did something along those lines and so that's you know it, it's unfortunate uh, but we have to treat it like a, a stream corridor, essentially. So you can't even put something in the CCNRs to explain that that's going to be a future potentially open stream? We can do that, um, but there are, you know, like you get sued for all sorts of things. And, uh, you know, our, our concern is that people will feel like they were misled. Uh, even if it's in the CCNRs, because you know you'd be amazed at the number of people that don't read their CCNRs when they're buying buying a home. Thank you, Amy. Um, does anyone else with the board? Have has questions for uh, the staff. All right, there being none, um, uh, I think the, the staff mentioned that um, the applicant is prepared to just present uh, us some information tonight regarding some of the uh, comments that um, we made last, last meeting. Is that correct, um, John or Kyle? That's correct. Okay. Um, so I guess that uh, we can we can proceed with that. All right. Very very well. Um, so we we worked this program out tonight, and and thanks again for seeing us. I really appreciate it. Appreciate the the extra consideration that uh, that you all have put into this to this development. It looks like there I this, this project there are a few new faces. So. Uh, I don't want to belabor uh, 
uh, any, any of the points we made the last time. Um, but I do want to um, I want to I want to um, uh, just give you a quick introduction here. So with me today, you met Aaron, who's head of um, uh, entitlements, vice president of entitlements for for Toll. And and Toll, uh, most of you, most of you all know us. We're 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 based here in Kirkland, uh, the Pacific Northwest offices. Um, you know, we're we're a national builder. We do everything from single family detached all the way up to high rises in Manhattan and LA. So we we, we cover the cover the gamut. Um, Dolan, of course, is an architect we've worked with over the years. They've done a ton of projects in this area. Uh, just came back from the National Home Builders Association with uh, with an award, actually an award for a project that uh, this whole group worked on. Um, so we're happy about that. And uh, Yannick and Scott Evans are here with Blue Line, and uh, Blue Line is based here out of, out of Kirkland as well. It's extensive experience within the city. and. Uh, in the surrounding areas. Also added to the team today, we've got Colton Coster, who's with uh, Radicky. Radicky's uh, 40 years in environmental science uh, experience within the area. They've done, uh, we use them for aquatic resources, wildlife biology studies, and, and wetland sciences. And so some of the questions that you all had with regard to uh, the wetlands last time and our mitigation and the peer review um, that's being conducted right now. There's several peer reviews that have been conducted and several more that will be conducted. Um, uh, Colton can speak in great detail. So I wanted to make sure your, your answers are, are thorough and uh, um, we just, we need no rock unturned here. So looking at the site, just briefly here, you know, again, we're, we're isolated down at the corner. The end of, of 120th, the right away ends where the number one is. Um, steep slopes going up. View out towards the building supply uh, facility to the west. A path that leads down to the Kirkland, uh, excuse me, to Forbes Creek. Um, this is a view from 405 looking at our site. So you can see that it's uh, well buffered from, uh, from, 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 from the right away. Um, this is the massing that we uh, reviewed with you six months ago, uh, a little over six months ago in June. This was the option that um, that we've developed out. Um, so some of the questions that you you had or some of the comments from that meeting were. Uh, detail the elevations for each of these buildings, show a 3D massing or SketchUp model. So we've, we're, we've done that. Add variation to the units, entrance, and deck. So I want to show you that. Uh, look at relocating the commercial building closer to the project's main road. We discussed that last week or two weeks ago, and we can go over that as well. So, you know, again, just to recap, we're looking at 121 townhomes. Um, you know, there's three to four bedrooms, three and a half baths. You know, the buyers coming out here, they want to own, they've uh, formed roots in the area or they're new to the community. They want, you know, they want to stay kind of in a semi-urban urban, uh, environment. Um, they're moving out of, many, in many cases, they're moving out of the big condos and the big apartment buildings. They want a small yard. They want direct access to the outdoors. They want a garage that they can pull into and walk directly into their homes. And they want a garage that they can use for storage for, you know, kayaks and outdoor lifestyle uh, equipment. So 
we brought this slide up here again just to show the constraints that we have. You know, the, the, this points out a few things, and Yannick, uh, I'll turn it over to you in a second here. But you know, we've got super steep slopes. You know, we're two lowest elevation to the south is 174 by the creek, goes down into a valley. But really, about 212, um, 228, 230 in some spots, all the way down to 168, 156 on the other side. So massive, massive slopes there. Um, pretty much an unbuildable area down here, class three, class one wetland over here, um, additional wetlands, the creek going through wetlands that we're enhancing and doing some buffer, buffering here as well, steep slopes. So the, the point here is that visible to the to the outside world we have uh about 68 feet of frontage on 120 and you know it, when this gets redeveloped it's going to sit and we'll show you an exhibit one of the cross sections you asked for maybe we'll show you uh how far below the site is than, than ours so we're up on a up on a uh, plateau so there's really very little connectivity to um to the world beyond this this site here uh yannick um Anything to elaborate on here? Stormwater treatment. Um, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Okay. So here we have a, a quick comparison. So the blue dashed with the dashed line with the gray hatch is uh, the limits of approximate disturbance uh, in the current condition. Uh, we didn't go into extreme detail of assessing how much grading exactly they did, but um, we did a similar comparison to our site. Um, there's a sewer main and the water main that runs through the property um, into our western boundary. There's the existing stormwater features that were constructed uh, to support the, the current development that's out there today. Um, and then in comparison, we're showing our total developed boundary in the red line. Um, overall, we're, our site disturbance compared to the existing condition is just over half an acre, which is actually less than 5% of the total site area. Um, and then we also show on this plan, we have two vaults um, and stormwater treatment as well in, integrated into those. So we have a vault on the west side there, which will collect runoff from the majority of the site, detain it, uh, release it to that water quality facility, uh, meeting the enhanced treatment requirement, and then discharge it to the natural location uh, just on the border of the site there. And then the east vault, uh, is a smaller portion of the site and similarly treats the runoff and discharges to the existing conveyance system uh, that borders our property and the GTS property and eventually uh, discharges to Forbes Creek uh, just beyond where the 48 inch culvert discharges off site from our property. Um, very good, very good. So just again, bringing you up to speed on some of the, uh, the features of the site here. Again, three point connectivity to the Kirkland Trail. We'll elaborate on that in the next slide. Um, we've got the uh, buffer going through the existing trail down by Forbes Creek. Um, uh, we're, we're showing a, a commercial building up here with a covered kiosk or covered um, structure alongside it. Um, we're going to, on other subsequent slides, show you the pathway, and we're going to show you our new parking uh, layout. So last meeting, we talked about 
the need for delivery trucks and um, uh, see if we can enhance the number of um, visitor uh, parking spaces. We're already above what is required by code. Uh, we're above what our traffic and uh, parking study says that we need. So uh, Yannick, if you want to walk through that real quick, and then we can move on to the next slide. Yep. So here we, we broke it down. Um, the magenta or pink uh, spots is our traditional guest parking. Um, so we meet the minimum required and then some above that. Um, and then we've also integrated some additional spots uh, which are gonna be restricted uh, for delivery parking only during business hours. Um, and those are what you see delineated in yellow there. Um, and you have one spot at each mailbox structure. So we have a mailbox structure adjacent to the commercial building. Um, and then we have a mailbox structure um, in the middle of the site uh, between buildings R and T there. And then we have an additional structure between buildings B and C. Um, so that will integrate uh, obviously all the, all the postal needs for the development and then also allow for parking of the post uh, delivery in, and then also deliveries um, in vans. And then we also have one spot between building Q and P, which is a pull-off spot, uh, which can easily accommodate larger delivery vehicles um, and, and allow for parcel delivery throughout the site without impeding on uh, traffic coming through the site. Yeah, uh, we also add that we have received uh, comments back from um, Public Works. Um, Fire has commented on this. Uh, solid waste has commented on it, and um, uh, roads has commented, commented on it as well. So we are, um, you know, we, we've got the very few comments because uh, we worked through hand and glove with uh, with the various departments. So we've got the fire truck turnarounds that we need. We've got the uh, solid waste uh, uh, delivery arrangements that we need, and you know, it's it's actually a, it's a very very buildable site as, as shown right here. Uh, so this site plan um, uh, shows our connectivity. Again, three-point connection to the Kirkland Corridor, which is which is really the branding feature for this site here. Um, the blue, the dark blue is a natural or gravel um, path. The, the orange is existing. Um, the red is our primary. You can see that we've added um, uh, past both sides of the um, the main uh, thoroughfare or the main drive, and we have subsequent our, uh, our secondary paths leading to the front doors of each yeah, each house. So again, as we as we talked about last time, you can literally walk from your front door down to the CKC and vice versa. So there's great connectivity throughout, great pedestrian connectivity. Uh, also shown on here is our entry feature location. We have pedestrian wayfinding signs throughout. Um, we have pedestrian seating located throughout the, the trails as well. Um, Scott, did I leave anything out or we, we got that covered? No, I think you covered it really well. Um... I think the, uh, the shelters, yeah, I think seating, wayfinding, um, and obviously I think our, our lighting plan will begin to tell the story um, in addition mm -hmm. to um, how we begin to find our way through the path, how we are 
not just uh, at nighttime, not just encouraging people to walk along our entry drive, but we're also providing uh, some nice appropriate level of lighting uh, along that gravel trail that was to the north of buildings C, D, E, F, G, and uh, around the alley associated with J. So, um, you know, we, we got these secondary paths that are going to be a, a little bit more low key than, uh, than necessarily the two paths that we're providing longer entry drive. So uh, we, we haven't we haven't gotten deep into the lighting, but we're we're looking at more of a dark sky concept and making sure the paths are illuminated and, and the, the light is directional and functional. So that's um, and, and and some of these images here are more uh, conceptual, but this is, should give you give you an idea. Should you have any questions on this, we're happy to, to get into the weeds. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously, you know, reading through the design guide, um, it's all about safety, you know, providing appropriate light levels throughout the entire project to provide a safe experience for everybody. Um, this is a yeah. image that you guys have seen previously. Uh, this begins to talk about the materials that we want to try to incorporate into our entry signage, uh, really try to speak to the industrial vocabulary of our neighbors. Um, I don't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but, uh, you know, again, it was starts to look at the, the wayfinding elements that we're going to have throughout the site so that people and residents can't find their way through the site to the CKC. Um, obviously, that's a huge part of the experience of, of living here, of, of walking through this area is to access the CKC trail. So um, we'll have wayfinding sign along the way um, that will help with that. Um, it will respond in kind to kind of that industrial vibe that we're looking at for our entry monuments. And um, then obviously uh, taking just kind of a, you know, a, a really kind of decorative approach to the lighting um, at this location. Uh, one thing that the design guide spoke to was uh, the need for kind of upgraded landscaping. Um, certainly within this neighborhood, the landscaping is pretty sparse. Uh, so we really want to take a next step and really kind of um, announce that this is a different sort of a neighborhood than our kind of a neighborhood that you drive through in order to get here. So we really wanted to introduce a lot of different colors, a lot of different uh, textures that uh, really kind of celebrate the single family experience here. Um, this begins to speak to our Eastern amenity space. It's kind of associated with our commercial building, um, but it begins to what we're really trying to look at is that this is a flexible space. Um, as we begin to design this and develop it, um, what we really want to try to do is to have it be a space that people can utilize for a multitude of different activities, something that they can go out and, and do morning calisthenics in there, or else it can become a location for um, a neighborhood gathering, a, a, you know, a block party sort of event. So yeah. looking at flexible spaces. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's great. And we added additional uh, benches throughout as well. We increased the the, the uh, leash-free, uh, off-leash space for the, for the dogs. And, and just FYI, you remember from one of the, the previous slides, there's a lot going on here. There's water main, sewer main going through here, and then the slope uh, uh, crashes down about 20 feet off, uh, you know, from, 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 uh, from the paving here down to the, to the site below. And we'll, we'll show you the cross-section on that. So there's, there's a lot going on there. 
And then um, with the Paseos, really what we were trying to do was to provide a um, kind of respond in kind with the architecture. The architecture was trying to create distinctive front doors. So uh, with the landscaping, we were trying to do the same thing. We were trying to make sure that uh, none of the Paseos really kind of felt like they were being repeated. We wanted to make sure that the landscaping for everybody's front door felt different. And so we were really kind of playing with the architecture to try to celebrate that. And once again, to provide a lot of different colors and textures, uh, a lot of different seasonal interests throughout the landscape. At our West Amenity space, this became our kind of our primary in the kind of uh, design guide vocabulary, kind of our primary plaza, our kind of primary, we were calling it amenity space. Uh, but it you know features a children's play area. It features a sports court. Uh, we've added a additional shelter here that um, people will be able to utilize um, as they begin to gather here. We'll have some bicycle parking that is associated with this since it has such an intimate relationship with the CKC trail. We see, certainly see um, families beginning their journey on the CKC trail at this location and it become kind of the, uh, the launching point for adventures. Sure. Yeah, very, very well said. And then uh, as we talked before, the opportunity to have either a food truck or as we talked about with planning at one point, possibly even a pop up, you know, bike repair type of thing. You know, we, we're, we're still keeping that option available down here. So so there, there's that. Also, the trail filtering off here uh, does connect over to 116 trail as well as down to uh, the CKC. So what we have done here in, in the subsequent pages, and you know, we, we, we can get into this in great detail. Um, we can show you some of the Paseo widths here. Um, you know, we, we're, we, can come, we can come back to this in, in as great a detail as, as, as you all want, whatever questions you have. Um, this landscaping plan, Scott, you want to talk to, uh, shows a bit of, shows the Forge Creek coming in, the creek is flowing from, from the east through a little ravine, uh, entering into the property right here. And we're starting to see our first uh, bit of landscape uh, associated with it. Scott, do you want to elaborate on that? And Colton, yeah, so my, I, um, Colton's certainly going to address the, uh, the, the landscaping, and, and we have provided the document that his office has provided. Um, to that, what we wanted to do was actually to provide a it's kind of an additional layer of landscaping. Most um, wetland buffer enhancements uh, brings in a lot of plant material that's a fairly small scale. So we really wanted to try to bring in a little bit larger plant material in here so that it felt a little bit more um, well thought out than necessarily just responding to the requirements of, uh, of the wetland buffer. So, and also to have it, since we don't have the similar sort of requirements to the north of the um, kind of bridge element, um, we wanted the two landscapes to kind of speak to one another. So we wanted to have some similar materials of scale, of size, um, of treatments on both sides of, uh, of that bridge element. All right, great, great. So it just, uh, um, pick pollen on what uh, Aaron had said earlier. You know, we've carved this this uh, this um, creek bed out, creek buffer down a little bit, so it does actually capture some water and, and flows one way or the other. But it's designed. We, we've we've gone through uh, review by uh, city's uh, consultant watershed. It's uh, it's been back and forth with Fish and Wildlife, and they've 
Uh, they're waiting on um, city approval before they can sign off on it, but they've they've approved our our, our culvert design and our interim uh, design here um, as as well. So it, it's 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 going to look great once it's uh, once it's developed. So. Uh, Yannick and Colton, um, why don't you pick up the conversation on this slide here and, and hopefully, uh, Amy, this answers a lot of your questions. Yep. So we prepared this additional graphic here. So the magenta line is, is the standard buffer, um, that was reviewed, uh, by the city's peer reviewer and agreed upon. Um, and then we are implementing buffer averaging per, per the zoning code that's section 9115. Um, you want to look into that specifically, but um, overall, it allows us to reduce the buffer up to 75%, the width of the buffer uh, up to 25%, sorry, no less than 75%. Um, so effectively, what we're doing is we're having to remove or reduce the buffer in certain areas, but we're providing equivalent or greater buffer outside of the standard magenta line um, and providing a, a equivalent uh, buffer overall for the sensitive area. And then we've also included a, the in the blue hatch there, um, the area that's currently encumbered by parking lot or existing impervious or improvements, uh, and what will ultimately be uh, those improvements removed and restored um, to ultimately provide a uh, more enhanced buffer or sensitive area protection than than what's at the site currently today. And I'll turn it over to Colton to go into a little more details on on the science behind it. Yeah, to reiterate what Yannick said, the wetland and critical area boundaries on the site um, were initially delineated and assessed by us, Radicke Associates, and were ultimately um, uh, provided to the third party reviewer at the city of Kirkland, the watershed company who agreed with our assessment. And um, at this point, we're working on the buffer averaging plan, which will uh, take um, many of the buffers out there have uh, degraded conditions with invasive Himalayan blackberry and, and other invasives in the buffer and or uh, the, the um, parking lot materials that will be removed. And uh, as part of that, we're going to restore it with native trees, shrubs and ground cover to provide an overall um, lift in the habitat function. Um, ultimately, the average buffer area will be protected by a split rail fence to uh, discourage any um, pedestrian or, or dog traffic into those areas as well. All right, great. Yeah, and you know, we this has been submitted with actually with our LSM application, our DRV application, and our CEPA. So we're we're you know we're well well covered, I think, in terms of approvals. Uh, I'm, I'm going to skip over the next few slides, which deal with more landscape, and we can certainly come back to it. But this this slide right here addresses um, a few of the commentary that you wanted to see, and other, uh, other members of the board wanted to see last time, where we're taking cross sections of the site, and you can see the profile of how it relates. Uh, our site relates to the neighboring site. So we showed you this site last time. Uh, CKC trail here, native vegetation, property line, enhanced vegetation uh, that will match with many of the, uh, the existing um, uh, trees and screen the retaining wall, which is part of the vault up here. And then up here, we of course have our, uh, our uh, recreational plaza. Um, Scott, do you want to elaborate on that? 
Yeah, I just I think that uh, obviously it's a uh, you know important to see some of the dimensions that we provided here. Um, we're providing 20 feet of enhanced landscaping uh, between the property line and where the detention vault wall is at. Um, there's 43 feet of existing vegetation that uh, is offsite uh, between ourselves, um, well, between our property line and the CKC trail surface. So, um, and also to look at the uh, the vertical distance uh, that we have on uh, on this section, we are looking at um, about a, a I think it's a 17 feet of, of grade change that is uh, going on between the uh, CKC trail and our plaza space. Uh, and so some of the, the planning trail is called out here and, and this, this is a this is a cross section that is very precise and so it happened to have uh, a uh, red twig dogwood uh, shown here, but it's a mixture of uh, of uh, indigenous, or excuse me, um, deciduous and um, uh, evergreen uh, trees here. So it's it's a mix. It isn't all just red tig dogwood. Yeah, this um, um, that the the buffer includes uh, on along that north side of the vault. There it includes dogwoods, currants, Oregon grape, hazelnut, vine maple, snowberry, salal, sword ferns. So um, all all native species that are going to blend in well with the existing vegetation. That is uh, offsite. Um, fantastic, thank you, Scott. We showed you the slide the last time. This 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 applies to or, or pertains mainly to the um, relationship to the properties to the south, the residential properties to the south. Um, what this this is this this is part of our, our landscape buffer mitigation um, uh, modification uh, proposal here, where. Um, you know, we were, it was five feet of buffer which required on the property line with a six foot fence. You know, we're, we're going five to eight times that distance over. We're putting in clumping bamboo, in some cases, other, other uh, specimens, some uh, specimens on the top of, uh, of the wall. And then, and then there's a gaming and baskets located at the, at, at the building end of each one. So there's, you know, so, where you needed a six foot fence, we've got 17 feet. Where you needed five feet of, of buffer, we've got uh, five to eight times that, that distance. So um, we can come back to that if you have any, any questions later on. I'll also show some of the landscaping along the um, auto court. Another cross section you asked for uh, right between buildings A and C, C, and B. So this is just to the north of the. Um, Recreational Plaza, the, the play, uh, the pot lot up there. And Scott, why don't you walk us through? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, again, it's, you know, important to see kind of the distance uh, from from building A uh, to how far it is away from the CKC trail, um, you know, and then also kind of the, the amount of landscaping. We've got, um, you know, 60 feet of, um, over 60 feet of landscaping on site uh, between that northern elevation of building A and our property line, and then obviously greater than that distance so over to the CKC trail. Um, you know, to also to you know kind of speak to the the horizontal distances, uh, excuse me, the vertical distances that are going on um, on this. So um, you know, from the CKC trail to building A, there's uh, 20 feet of vertical change. Uh, from uh, the neighbors to the south, the single-family homes, 
uh, to the alley, we're looking at about 33 feet of vertical different dis uh, distance. Right. Yeah. Just and one of the the past applicant had, had made a point, and I think we made the point the last time. You know, we're well below the the height limit. We could go up to 95 feet, so you know we can conceivably go you know about yay high up here, and and we're we're not. We're also staying much greater than the five feet uh, required for a buffer, for a landscape buffer. Uh, yeah. Next, uh, we're we're coming up against. We're moving further north up along the site just before we get to the um, um, uh, Forbes Creek. So we, you know, the Forbes Creek path actually hits this twice. But um, but please, uh, Scott, if you want to. Yeah, again, you know, just to talk about the uh, some of the distances that we are looking at here, um, you know, the landscape buffer uh, to the north between B and our and our property line, um, you know, we're we're looking at um, uh, 59 feet and, uh, you know, from our units um, uh, building AA and to our neighbors to the south, we're looking at 42 feet of a, of a landscape buffer. Um, Vertical differences again uh, from the CKC trail to building A, we're looking at over uh, 20 feet, and the vertical difference um, similar to our previous uh, exploration. There, we're looking at over 30 feet of uh, vertical difference between the Paseo height and our our neighbors to the south. And moving even further down, uh, getting up closer as we're approaching the commercial building, um, we're just north of uh, of Forbes Creek. Again, just to, to kind of highlight the, the kind of the distances there, um, the landscape buffer that we're providing, um, you know, fairly modest compared to some of the other buffers that we've been looking at in the previous ones. But this section happens to include um, our dog area, so uh, that you know, still it's a a very uh, generous 23 feet of landscape buffer uh, between the dog area and um, and the property line. Um, and then uh, to the, to the um, to the east, we're up against the um, 405 interchange, um, so the right of way there. So um, again, we're looking at about 11 feet of distance. Um, it's a, and then uh, and then for our vertical differences um, from the GTS uh, kind of you know building there and their service yard, um, we are looking at. Um, 27 feet of vertical difference uh, from our building uh, H down to kind of their service area. And then um, we are looking at uh, around 20 feet of vertical difference up to the 405 right away from uh, that Paseo at building P. Very good. Also, we're gonna get into it in a, in a subsequent slide, but we're showing uh, one of the questions you had was show uh, actual height of trees at, at maturity, and we're we're showing that as as well throughout the site. So as as we move slide by slide, you can see, uh, you know, the the scale of the buildings, the scale of the the, the landscaping, and how they relate to them. Um, final, I believe this is the final one. Um, one, again, one more after this. The relationship. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, relationship to the industrial building. Uh, to the to the to the west, uh, showing our, our commercial pad here, and you'll, you'll note that we're almost at the most narrow point of 
of our, our buffer to, to the west. Um, Scott, you care to elaborate on anything else? Yeah, so um, from uh, the, the GTS uh, service area to our um, commercial building, there's a 29 feet of vertical difference uh, from uh, building M to the 405 right of way. There's a 15 feet of vertical difference. Uh, we have a landscape buffer uh, to the northwest of a 48 feet and a landscape buffer uh, to the east of 41 feet. And one of the photos I showed you at the beginning uh, was from the 405 right away, and it was it was just off of this area out here. The last slide. Let's go. Yeah. So this begins to show the duplex uh, kind of right at the entry. Um, the section takes goes through the alley uh, between uh, buildings K and L, and then so it's a. Uh, Kind of a tortured, a uh, little, little bit of a tortured section here. Um, so some of the numbers are a, a little wonky, but um, you know I think importantly it begins to it continues to kind of show the uh, the vertical difference between um, where our units are at and um, where the adjacent properties to the northwest are at. So we've got um, from the GTS to Building L, we've got 20 feet of vertical difference uh, happening there. Um, down to that access easement. Um, so we've got a a twenty foot landscape buffer that is uh, kind of happening on two tiers um, on for that retaining wall that is kind of uh, supporting our site. And um, then we've got, uh, like I said, this the section over towards the east is a is a little wonky, but um, still it's uh, it's a very generous landscape buffer that we've got. And uh, there's obviously a, a great deal of existing vegetation uh, within the 405 right of way to give us some good separation. We we didn't take a survey all the way out to the um, to the right of way pavement. We just went to just beyond the property line a little bit. So Scott, talk to us about the the height of the trees. So um, uh, this was a this was this is a response to a, a question we had uh, last week, showing you know the, the um, basically the tree height study and, and and what what goes where and, and how does the landscape differ throughout the um, throughout the site and help with placemaking. So. Yeah, so um, you know, we just kind of went through and did a quick exercise here, color coded uh, all the trees that we've got that we're proposing on site to kind of break them down into some large, uh, just kind of general uh, kind of tree height sizes um, to begin to show kind of uh, how we were thinking about uh, this, these kind of the relationships of these trees, um, how they affected the light, the light quality of our residential units. Um, you know, we've got some, obviously some spaces that are uh, the Paseo spaces that are oriented north-south. Um, you know, those spaces are going to um, kind of live in shadow, you know, for a long period of time. So um, we wanted, and especially considering that they've got uh, kind of a slopes um, to the south of them and a lot of existing vegetation to the south of them that is going to cast those spaces into even more shadow. So we wanted to make sure that um, when we went through this, we were very purposeful and very thoughtful in making sure that we were providing a lot of natural light into um, you know, not just the upper floors of these residential units, but also down to the bottom floors as well. So um, you know, certainly part of the studies that we went through was just to try to begin to 
visualize exactly what our shadows were going to be, how the quality of light was going to be affected within these Paseo spaces. We didn't want to create such dark spaces that um, you know they were unwelcoming because certainly these Paseo spaces, these are kind of the front yards for these units. So we really wanted to make sure that it was habitable you know, at all seasons. So um, we wanted to be very deliberate on, you know, kind of the, the canopies um, where we've got some opportunities with slightly wider paseos. We certainly have introduced some slightly larger trees, um, but we really wanted to be thoughtful and considerate uh, to make sure that um, we were not creating, you know, trees that were going to create conflicts with the buildings, uh, not create conflicts with the enjoyability of living inside these spaces. Um, just to give you kind of a quick idea here, you know, that, um, you know, most of these spaces, uh, these Paseo spaces are around 27 feet in width. It varies slightly from down from about 25 up to over 30. Um, but we've got to kind of a pathway, a five foot pathway that's coming down the middle of that space. So that kind of leaves us with um, kind of a, you know, kind of a landscape space that is, um, you know, between, you know, 11 and 12 feet. So if we, you know, kind of offset our tree, you know, away from the sidewalk, uh, not too close to the building, um, you know, those trees are kind of living about seven to eight to nine feet away from the face of the building. So the canopies have to be fairly modest. Um, we don't want these, you know, trees immediately growing into uh, the buildings, creating maintenance issues for the residents. So, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were considerate um, with the trees. We're not creating maintenance and problems or, uh, you know, you know, just kind of we didn't want to see the trees just being taken away because they were rattling against windows, you know, 10 years from now. Perfect, perfect. So, Scott, thank you. I know, I know you, you, we've, there's a ton of questions that you all had. Uh, we provided an exhibit here that shows trees at, at maturity as well up against the buildings. So, I wanted to ensure that we're, uh, we're, we're painting the picture that you're, that you, that you're looking for. You get a feel of, of what we're, what we're, what we're, what we're planting out here, what it's going to look like a few years down, down the road. Um, we wanted to talk with you about you know, the design criteria discusses uh, modularity. It talks about um, color and uh, building material transitions. It talks about um, human scale. And we, we'd really like uh, Dala to step in here right now and uh, knowing that we've, we've used a, a ton of time getting through the site to, uh, to talk, to discuss this here. So then we can open up the questions. Great, thanks, thanks, David. And I'll, I'll try and power through these uh, pretty quickly. Um, just given some of the comments that came up a couple of weeks ago, we once again, uh, similar to Amy, went through each of the design guidelines uh, for the Totem Lake uh, District to ensure we're conforming to all of the applicable uh, for this type, all that are applicable for this type of uh, residential community. None of this is uh, new information with the following slides, but was reorganized in, to highlight some of the key items that apply to the architecture. Um, item three on page 13 covers street corners. Uh, the objective here is to enhance the appearance of highly visible locations. Um, with this slide, we feel we're conforming with the design guideline by enhancing the elevations and landscape along the spine road in all visible or highly visible areas. Uh, the upper two renderings illustrate uh, the community entry on the left and the inner 
an interior spine road towards the rear of the community on the right. Um, shown here are enhanced elevations that uh, greet the resident or visitor uh, on the progression through this site. Uh, each of these elevations, which are highly visible, provide higher level of detailing with wrapping materials, windows, covered decks, and dynamic roof articulations. Uh, careful consideration was also taken when designing these elevations to provide massing and architectural detailing that is appropriately proportioned at a human scale. You'll notice that the elevations below uh, and the renderings that uh, at, at front edge conditions, covered roof decks are notched out to bring down the scale of the mass of these corners. On the next slide, um, <clears throat> item number four. I'm sorry. Item number four on page 15 covers pedestrian friendly building fronts and item seven on page 19 covers pedestrian coverings. Uh, the objectives include enhancing the pedestrian environment and creating safe active sidewalks and pathways, as well as providing <clears throat> shelter for pedestrians, uh, provide spatial enclosure and add design interest. Um, <clears throat> with both of these, we feel we're conforming to the design guidelines by providing a variety of pedestrian-friendly building fronts and covering solutions. Uh, <clears throat> each of the entries are recessed, which provides shielding from outside weather and offers privatized entries. Some of the residents have covered porches and others have covered metal awnings. Uh, large stoops are arranged to create an extension of the interior entries and provides an area to connect with neighbors. Covered decks on the second floor provide a relief and massing as mentioned before, and uh, additional space to interact neighbor to, neighbor to neighbor and creates an ability to personalize the units by means of potted plants or outdoor furnishings. In the bottom right-hand corner, we've shown an image that uh, was provided within the design guidelines of a successful approach and considering changes uh, in building materials on an elevation. In comparison, we feel we've provided a higher level of material and color changes on the exterior elevation throughout the community. And in addition to this, we've also included multiple enhanced areas throughout the community. With the next slide, item number 18 on page 33 covers human scale. The objective is to encourage the use of building components that relate to human scale. Uh, we feel we're conforming with this design guideline by breaking down the three-story massing and incorporating several human scale elements throughout. Vertical and horizontal modulation provide relief and individualized each unit. Uh, materials have been thoughtfully added to elevations to break down massing and ma maintain scale. Uh, windows, openings, deck railings, metal awnings are all designed to the human scale. Second floor decks create passive connection between homeowners and the community. And in the bottom right-hand corner, once again, we've shown an image that was provided within the design guidelines as a successful approach to bringing a residence, a residence to a human scale. In comparison, uh, we feel we've provided an appropriate amount of modulation to achieve this, along with continuing a Pacific Northwest contemporary design. Um, <clears throat> with the next few slides, 
Item 19 on page 34 covers building details and materials. Uh, the objective to, is to use a variety of quality building materials which are appropriate to the Pacific Northwest climate and complementary to desired visual characters uh, of the district. Uh, David, if you wanna click to the next. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I may have uh, uh, lost that file in transition, but uh, uh, from sure. our last iteration to this We've yeah. uh, we've provided different shades of brick and wood tone siding between the schemes. The color palette used for trim panel, fiber cement board, and vertical and horizontal siding were selected to be contemporary, contemporary and timeless. Um, most and most importantly, these materials were all chosen to be appropriate for the Pacific Northwest. Um, color schemes complement one another to provide unity throughout the community. However, each unit has alternating accents, aiding in wayfinding and adding individuality for each unit. Um, vertical modulation, as well as alternating roof conditions, provide depth and unique shadow lines. Also, each building is designed to work with grade, which creates different stepped conditions to each one of the unit's front doors. Uh, lastly, as mentioned before, Covered decks allow owners to uh, further differentiate their units through outdoor furniture, art, potted plants, and complementing, uh, which all complements the enhanced landscaping that Scott's been uh, speaking of earlier in the presentation. All right. Well, thank you very much on that, and, and I, I appreciate your patience, everybody. Um, this was the image that came from the, the book here that was actually showing bay windows and balconies to help uh, the building bring to a human scale. And we feel like we've, we've exceeded that uh, considerably. Um, the other element, of course, was the uh, the townhome exhibit that uh, we showed on the previous slide. So uh, I know we're about out of time here. I don't want to try your patience anymore. You may have some uh, uh, additional questions. We're happy to answer them. Um, yeah, turn it back over to you all. Thank you, David and Tim. Thanks for presenting tonight and uh, for uh, giving a very uh, detailed explanation of the items that we um, made comments on last uh, last meeting. Um, now it's going to be the dear beast time to uh, make any questions to the applicant. Um, I don't know if uh, anyone with the DRB has questions. If so, feel free, feel free to speak up. I have several. Go ahead, um, Amy. I'm going to try to be fast. Um, can you guys remind us uh, what is the existing impervious area and what will be the future impervious area? Sure. Yeah, I think that was slide six. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so we existing impervious area is uh, 5.28 acres. Proposed impervious acre, uh, impervious coverage is 5.3 acres. Um, I believe we're allowed up to 80% and we're at 48%. Did I get that right, Colton? I mean, Yannick? Yeah, we are overall site. We are at 46% um, impervious. Or sorry, 48, yeah. It's, as, as yeah, notable. so this 
because this diagram shows the area of disturbance, but it, but your your site, your landscape plan shows you have a lot of planted areas, and that's where that's what I'm trying to understand, right? Because what you're showing here is your the red dash is how much you're disturbing. Correct. Um, that includes clearing, grading, installation of utilities. Um, right. And, you know, I'm just trying to, follow, um, you know, uh, confirm what I heard. Um, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. What I heard last week that um, you're, you're actually improving the site conditions because currently it's mostly paved, but uh, you're going to add more pervious area. Is that true? So that was with, or David, I'll let you take this. Yeah, so I mean, of the, of the site, of the disturbed area here, our percentage of impervious is is less. Uh, I think the key thing that what we're doing is we're we're creating the uh, wetland enhancements where there were none, and we are providing for proper stormwater uh, treatment. The, the 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 previous stormwater treatment has has been neglected. It is. It was. It wouldn't begin to meet code now, um, and so we're we're certainly improving the situation there. What's more, you know, we're taking a sea of asphalt and we're breaking it up with uh, with green spaces throughout, which helps with uh, um, water treatment a bit as well. Yannick, you want to elaborate on that? No, I think that covers the basis pretty well. Yeah, so even though you are providing more landscaping, your 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 and and that's a number that I, I I'm not understanding because it isn't the current impervious area more than forty six percent? Yes, no. The existing impervious area is forty seven point five. And our proposed is 48%, so we're, we're oh, half okay. a percent. It's, it's basically just, uh, yeah, it's the same. It's All basically right. the same, except, you know, we're, we're, we're providing more greenery throughout. Yeah, okay. Um, so um, I really appreciate all the cross-section, um, especially with, uh, you know, giving us an idea, you know, the, yeah, the uh, buffer and, uh, the distance between your buildings to uh, you know to the south um, uh, to the 405 right away and then also to the CKC um, the the one thing that I wanted to just get an understanding how many of your buildings is actually visible from the CKC where you have this the narrower or what I'm calling the pinch points because I you know, I'm not sure. Are you able to plant trees all along your um, north your north property line so that um, you know visually there's a screen between the CKC and your buildings, or will there be kind of like um, peekaboos where you're going to see some of your buildings? Yeah, that's a great question, and so. You know, the CKC frontage really is between this point and this point here, um, but you can see through, you know, the the, uh, the abandoned right away here to, to the building. So 
if anything, it's going to be a little bit more, uh, as you say, peekaboo. Uh, I think in the winter there may be um, some some vent, some views here. What we've done is we've we've enhanced the the backside of both of these buildings mm -hmm. uh, and treated them as if we had the same criteria as if they were right on the, the CKC. Uh, mm -hmm. The code, the design criteria says anything on the on the trail must be enhanced. So uh, we enhance those elevations. Yeah, and your property to the north that's abutting the CKC, um, eventually that could potentially become one of these taller buildings, right? So uh, basically- uh, Oh, properties here, you do mm -hmm. mean? Yeah, that, that, which is, that's not our property, but yeah, that could right. be what I have to do. And I'm, this is pure speculation and Colton, you can jump in is, you know, the, the stream is over here and there is no wetland setback. You know, it just comes right up to the, the paving comes right up to the, almost the bank of the stream. Um, in fact, one of the guys that, that works there used to camp out there and they catch salmon and, and fry them up and right there on the, what is now a parking lot. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so there'll be greater buffers there, I guess is my point. All right. Um, where's my other questions? Um, I also just want to commend you guys for adding the sidewalk to the south. Um, that's definitely going to, uh, I mean, that's more consistent with what the code requires. In fact, um, uh, uh, you saved me from having to ask for that. Um, um, school buses. Have you guys talked to? I mean, yeah, I'm assuming you're you know, gonna have kids here. Like, are, is the school bus supposed to come in here, or are the kids supposed to go out to the street? Yeah, great question. Great question. And the within, so we're, we we go to Bell Elementary is, is where these kids will go. And in front of Bell Elementary is also the bus stop in the middle school and the high school. And because of the close proximity to elementary, um, we are, uh, it's a walking school. And um, so this is the school district's uh, walking trail here with each red. Um, That's a safe route to school. That's their yeah, official exactly. safe routes to school. Okay. Yeah. So there's a couple ways to get here. There's a, 0.9 mile and there's a 0.6 mile. Uh, I went out there the other day, took these photos, and there were some kids that were walking this section here. And they're, you know, this the crusade walk doesn't extend over here, which I'm sure we could, you know, ask petition that it does. But you've got a signalized um, crosswalk um, here at the CKC, and you've got uh, crosswalks up here you know, with flags. So you have a choice or you can even, you know, take the long way. There's also a path that leads uh, along uh, 119th Lane here that connects to this trail, but that's not the official um, pathway. And David, just a point of clarification. I think Amy was asking a question. This is the school district's map, correct? That's correct. And then you've overlaid the, the walking routes on top of it. Right. Uh, or uh, walk routes 219, okay. 22. Uh huh. To okay, so 
Yeah, so the purple, right? Oh, so that little stub, is that 120th? That's the little 120th to get to your site? This is just representing connection to our site. So oh, okay. This, so where is the entrance? This, where, this, where's this, the... Is, this is the Cross Kirkland corridor here. Oh, okay, okay. The students would walk up here and then walk down here to get to the elementary school. And so you have an RFFB here. You have the, the trail up to that point, RFFB to get across the, the road. Um, and then you can walk up all the way to the school. Okay, so no school bus. There is okay. no the bus. The school does not bus the kids to the elementary. Uh huh. Yeah, because they're they're within the two mile radius. Okay. Um, so um, um, this is just for confirmation. Um, your architectural design. Uh, I noticed that one one side of your building has that beautiful modulation, very well, you know, articulated facade. The other side is flat. So the flat side, which which side is that facing? Yeah. So the flat side is facing the outer courts. Okay. And oh, it's a the alleyways. So. It's not facing no hardly inside facing. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, it. That's what I that's what I suspected. I just needed to get some verification. That's the, all the I have. Flat, the flat and non-articulated sides are uh, not highly visible. The pedestrian or street traffic going through. Right. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for your questions. Tom. Thank you, Amy. And um, thanks, David. Um does anyone else with the board um, has any questions for the applicant? All right, there being none. Um, Kyle, um, do we have any anyone with the audience that may want to make some comments or questions on this project in specific? Uh, John, do you have access to that? Yeah, so if you just click participants, you'll see the attendees list. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, correct. Yep. All right. Yes, it looks like her. We have two. Yes, two people raised with their hands raised. Um, sorry, I'm not sure how to, um, yeah, so we'll just go in order here. Um, so Linda can go first, please state your full name and email address, please. And spell your email. Hi, my name is Linda Pack. My email is L C H O U G H P A K at gmail.com. L Chopak at gmail.com. I go ahead and start? Thank you. Yes, you can okay. go ahead. Start. First of all, I'd like to just thank this review board. At the very end of last meeting, um, which ended at 12 midnight, it, someone made a comment that you guys are all volunteers. 
And we didn't, I didn't realize that. And I just want to thank you for your time um, to keep Kirkland's ambiance intact um, as new buildings get built. My, I guess I have two questions and I realize that this is a comment time, but how many old trees, um, and maybe I missed it, but how many old trees are being um, uprooted in order to build this, this, um, this development? And um, what about the path access during the construction? Um, that was my second question. And um, I just wanna thank the uh, builders also for being really environmentally conscious of the wetlands area. I am wondering though, what is the wetland buffering average um, that has come up that that request has been made, but what does that, what does that mean? Um, buffering average versus and me not being an architect or a landscape designer, you know, I'm not exactly sure. Does that just, does that decrease the amount of buffering or not? Um, so anyways, those were my three questions, which may or may not get answered because this is a comment time, but thank you for your time. I'm happy to take each one of those if I may. Okay. All right, so let me, let me start with the trees then. Um, so I don't know if you can see it, but in pink here are all the trees that are over um, 18 inches. So I can only see my timer, which is one minute and 16 seconds. Yeah, so, sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, John. I'm done, I'm, done, I'm done with my questions. <laughs> Thank you. Right, uh, let me try sharing again. So all the trees over 18 inches, some of the older trees, are in areas that are not going to be developed. So this is all a wetland up here, and it's in a wetland buffer. We are taking out a few of the trees um, closer to the CKC. Um, some of the larger trees are in the banks uh, up here, the hillside. There are very few large trees um, in the rest of the site. What what we're doing for the most part is just not touching this area over here. Um, so there, there's quite a few of the of the existing trees and canopy that, that were made. And you can see that there's really not that many um, uh, trees over 18 inches in, in diameter. All right, thank you. Um, with regards to the, to the CKC um, trail, we will be making uh, one connection point directly to the trail, um, and it will be, uh, it, it, it's really just joining the trail. So there's minimum impact to the trail at all. There will be no construction traffic coming down here. We've got a buffer to, to respect. Uh, it's not our property, um, so th there won't be any impact. The other connection point will um, work over towards the 116 trail. Um, and so that won't impact the CKC as well. The trail going down to Forbes Creek is, is already in place. We're just reconnecting um, at the top. So no impact to, to the CKC. Um, and then Colton, if you would like to talk about wetland buffers. Sure, um, the question um, was, 
the question was with regard to buffer averaging and importantly um i think the takeaway message for you is uh that the averaging process may reduce the buffer width in certain areas but overall um that buffer will be provided um, at another location on the wetland so ultimately you are not losing any uh, wetland buffer as part of the averaging process it's just um narrowing at one point um, and gaining buffer at another point and there's certain requirements that you can't reduce by uh, i believe it's more than 25% uh, of the wetland buffer in an area or 75%. Um, but uh, the other takeaway for that is um, as part of that buffer averaging process, as the criteria are met in the code, we're also providing enhancement in that buffer area. Right now, it's it's not um, <clears throat> providing the greatest habitat because it has a lot of invasive Himalayan blackberry in there, and uh, it just doesn't provide very good structure. So as part of that averaging plan, we'll also be enhancing those buffers to provide native trees, shrubs, and uh, ground cover. And uh, that will also be uh, monitored for a five-year period to ensure that it's going to be successful um, as part of the process. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. Um, do we have anyone else? Um, yes, we have Eileen Forrester up next. Hello, my name is Eileen Forster, and my email is E-I-L-E-E-N-F-O-R-S-T-E-R -E -E at Comcast.net. Um, yeah, this is a great presentation. Thank you so much for answering all these questions. I had three questions and then one general statement. The first question I had, if you guys are willing to answer, is um, how many bedrooms will these 121 units generate? Um, yeah, so. Oh, the, wait, I get it. I'm on a three minute thing. Do you want me to just. Yeah, yeah, go through your list of questions. We'll, we'll, we'll hit them after that. The second one is how many of those units are accessed only by stairs? And the third one is what is the distance in yards from 120th? all along that path down to the furthest building. So those are the three questions. I'm trying to get a specific idea of how many children will be there. And uh, the whole time, I guess I am mostly interested in these things around children because uh, generally we go through life and we kind of think, oh yeah, I get it, I get it. I'm that way. But in the case of children with special needs, there will be buses down there and somehow somebody's going to have to figure it out. You know, are they going to travel behind the garbage truck the whole way and the Amazon car? It will work itself out. But my suggestion is to have a turnaround at the end, a turnaround at the top and everybody just drive slow. But 100 percent, no matter what anybody told you, there will be special needs buses down there that the, there's children who cannot walk and they don't generally send them just to bell they'll group people by ability uh but the takeaway is there will be special needs buses thank yeah. you okay great question so yannick i'm hoping you're doing the math on the uh on the trail route from one end to the other while i'm freewheeling here um 
I've got the math for the bedroom count and everything. If you want me to jump yeah, in, yeah, sure. Three and a half times. So there's a hundred. There's 121 units. We got four bedrooms in each, so that's uh, 484 bedrooms for the whole community. Um, and to address the, um, it's just just one second on that. Oh, down. We also have one bedroom down in all units, so you're going to have 121 bedrooms down. So yeah, but um, but part of part of that, and in, in the way we're we're designing this, the way you designed it, is that um, it, the the bedrooms also are flex rooms as well that could be office. So not everybody's using it as a as a bedroom. Um, we are showing ADA route, or uh, we've designed the the primary sidewalks to be uh, ADA um, uh, compliant. The there are stairs though. They're stacked townhomes, and that is that's the nature of this development. I'm afraid. So um, we will. There, we, yeah, there will there will be stairs, with the exception of the commercial building, which which will be accessible ADA route coming off the sidewalk. Um, well, are we able to have, I see Evelyn has her hand up again. Are we able to? Well, I mean, are there townhome units accessible only by stairs? I saw a picture of one and there was stairs leading to the front of it. Yeah, um, all of them have stairs inside. And all of them will have probably at least one step of the stoop. Okay. Um, but then what is the distance from 120th walking along that path all the way down? Yannick, your turn to shine. Okay, sorry, I was looking to get some clarification on this. Uh, what was what was the two specific points? Oh, when, how, 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 what's the length of the path all the way down the, uh, the spine road? Bear with me. Hey, um, David, well, uh, Jenna is working on that. Uh, just have a quick question for you. I now remember. Uh, so I saw that you guys are proposing to add a shelters, uh, yeah. although I think that I didn't see any uh, renderings. Uh, so could you just let us know what's the intent in terms of like, are they going to be covered or open? Are there going to be benches? Uh, what type of uh, or sort of pedestrian amenities uh, are being planned for those locations? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Uh, so there is a larger shelter that we have just site planned. We have not uh, put together um, uh, any of the vertical improvements on uh, in the uh, recreational plaza area. Um, the other um, covered areas are going to be uh, more of a of a uh, kind of a rustic lean-to is what we're thinking about, you know. So it's at least roof over the head, um, cover 
cover the perhaps cover the um, uh, mailbox and then have a bench associated with it. So it, it's going to be a little bit more lower scale and and you know we're trying trying to work it out so that um, you know the units behind it aren't sitting behind you know a um, a big pergola or gazebo type thing that just looks out of place. So we're we're working that out, but we're you know we're, we've we've got some images that we're we're toying with here. So uh, the the intent is to have those uh, with weather protection. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. And the the road length through the development is approximately sixteen hundred feet. Thank you, Anik. All right. Um, thank you. I think those were all the questions. Um, so now it's going to be the turn for the board to uh, deliberate on this project. And with that being said, uh, I'd like to ask uh, if there's anyone who would like to open the conversation. I'm going to jump first because I do have to. Oh, I think I'm on mute. Can I hear you? Hey, Carlos, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Taylor. So many little uh, difficulties <laughs> with the with the microphone there. I'm going to jump in because I do have to jump here uh, pretty soon. But uh, I will say this. Uh, I, I want to thank, again, um, our presenters for presenting this presentation, going into deep detail and taking into consideration from the notes. Unfortunately, I did not attend the original, so I've had to backtrack a little bit. Um, I like what you guys have been able to put together. Um, and I appreciate what our attendees have had to ask, and I do want that to be taken into consideration, um, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, children with that are going to be walking from school, making sure that they have a safe place for them to, to access the trail without getting in the way of the construction, also getting down to where they need to be when it comes to the schools. Um, I do like the trees. I am curious. I don't know if you guys can, but the trees that you guys are taking down, depending on their size um, and what they are, if there is a way that maybe that we could move them or replant them, that would be an option that we could do if you have that ability to do so. Um, but other than that, um, I feel like it was a fairly well put together presentation. Thank you, Taylor, and uh, thanks thanks for your comments. <laughs> I know that uh, it's a lot of information that uh, the board and previous meeting Cal like went through a lot of items. So uh, I think that they, the applicant um, has presented more more information. Um, I'll be interested to hear or to listen to Brad's comments. Uh, there were like some uh, conversations last time. Um, I would like to see if you have any additional comments or concerns, Brad. Um, my only questions and comments are about exactly what the design review board is reviewing this project against. I'm still not clear on exactly which parts of the neighborhood design review guidelines uh, we can apply and which ones that Kyle said were just uh, vision statements 
Um, so once I have that information, um, then I can more cleanly uh, review the project. Right. Um, thanks for feedback, uh, Fatima. Carlos? I think she might have left. Yeah, I don't see her on anymore. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. <laughs> We're falling short on people. Um, Randall? I, I think Dan has done an extremely great job of putting this together and, and really taking a difficult site. Uh, that's the one thing that as you look at this and you look at the overlay and you look at the CKC, you look at the residential, single family residential that's right next to it. And I I see where Brad uh, is coming from uh, with the question as to what is design review board actually looking at here and that type of thing. And so, uh, but it's, we've got really a strange site that when you when you look at all the different things that are going on in the wetlands the retaining walls the utility easements and, and everything like that it's it's a difficult site no matter what you're going to put on here and i think when you look at the neighborhood plan it talks about the west side of the tl uh 10 uh a b or d e d or whatever uh uh, fine items are, and it talks about a little bit of residential, and then it talks more about office down through this area and off and that type of thing. And so, you know, it looks at 120th as being kind of the major arterial coming down through here, but this particular development takes off when it's on private road at the end of 120th, and so the the street coming up through it is my. My view of it is that it's it's a private road coming up into the development, and that. And so I don't. I, I see it as a good project as a buffer between the single family and coming down. So when you take the design guidelines or the the neighborhood plan uh, that we're looking at, you know, if you look at the neighborhood plan, it's all kind of written around six over one, five over one block buildings and in totem lake we get a lot of blocks and just big boxes and i see this as really a buffer between the residential coming into it it comes up to the uh, ckc very well they they handle that extremely well uh and that and then you drop down and you get into a more flatter area down to the north of it uh, even though there's a plateau here that's been graded out that's fairly flat, uh, it's still, you know, it's just a, it's an unusual piece of property. And that's where trying to write a general code and general guidelines, and then you start to hang that on individual pieces of property, and especially ones that are edge, edge properties, are always a difficult situation. And so I think the applicant, you know, was it, you know, uh, 
you know, I think the athlete has done very well and as being a long-term resident of Kirkland over 40, almost 45 years. One thing that we're seeing right now is we're seeing a lot of residential built in multifamily format of basically studio one, two bedroom. Maybe you get some three bedroom, but we aren't seeing a whole lot of product that's coming online that's four bedroom, three or four bedroom. And so, uh, especially in this neighborhood where you look at uh, the schools and and this, because we're, as the crow flies, I'm probably about three quarters of a mile from the site uh, right now. And and that, and so I, you know, it's a residential community, it's a school community. And so I think other than you kind of have to drive through, you know, what may be offices and that type of thing to get down to it. That's the only kind of weird thing that I see about it is that when you come down 120th and you see what the, the neighborhood plan is trying to project over that 120th line, uh, yeah, it's going to be coming down to a residential area that's that's kind of kind of unusual way to get there. So, I I I would recommend that we recommend approval and we move on. So that's my comments. Thank you, Randall. Um, Amy. So. Um... You know, based on the guidance from the staff, you know, basically we reviewed this project section by section. Um, and uh, I guess I'll start with the easy ones um, in terms of the architectural modulation and scale and uh, visual quality. I think that uh, they have met the guidelines um, in terms of the um, circulation, uh, you know, again, um, I uh, I also um, uh, can tell that they have met the guidelines, and um, uh, you know, to to you know, kind of respond to Brad's question, uh, what are we using to review this? I mean, if I'm going to take literally what's in the guidelines, I'm going to say uh, uh, this is a very unfortunate situation where um, the the form and the type of uh, development is because it wasn't what was envisioned for the Totem Lake Village, then the design guidelines practically like, you know, um, half of the guidelines don't even apply because it's not the right form. It's not the right site improvements. It's not the right landscaping. Um, and, you know, so, uh, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, we're you know, the board is 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 being asked to review and and approve a project that um, you know wasn't really what's envisioned, and I have no problem with that in the sense that um, staff has somehow made that conclusion that this type of project is uh, acceptable. Um, you know, Randall mentioned something about this is a good transition. Um, this. Regardless of whether that's true or not, that's not in the code. If we're going to start talking about following strictly what the code says, um, that wasn't ever a, con a consideration. So the way I'm reviewing this, I'm just taking what's in the standards or the guidelines 
Um, and, um, you know, I'm, you know, uh, I, I do want to commend the um, applicant for the amount of effort in um, the preparation of information that, um, you know, has allowed me to conclude that I'm, I'm comfortable with um, what they're doing in terms of the treatment um, along the CKC. Um, I'm comfortable with, um, you know, allowing them to have the variance or I'm, I'm not sure the right term on the south side uh, where, um, uh, you know, they were requesting for the board to determine whether or not they should be required to provide that additional buffer. Um, so um, given the information that they provided us, um, you know, I, you know, I'm convinced that they don't have to. Um, uh, and, um, you know, I'm also, after seeing their um, amenity spaces, you know, I can also um, conclude that, you know, um, uh, you know, that's probably good. There's a variety of spaces uh, for all different ages. Um, and then um, uh, there's also a design guidelines that talks about um, the uh, the interface between the buildings and the front door and, um, you know, and the way that they provided those open spaces for each unit, I think satisfies the requirement for open community open spaces in addition to the um, amenities. Um, the, the two things that I, I do have, um, I, I, I do you have a question, and this is what I wanted to just bring to the board is, I did find that they do not comply with um, the section on, I took that down, section number six, sidewalk and pathway widths, which require that sidewalks adjacent to moving vehicular traffic need buffers. In other words, we're talking, you know, the planter strips with street trees. Um, and, um, you know, obviously they're not providing that. So I don't know how the board feels about that. Um, personally for me, um, given the location and um, the, um, the type of development, um, I'm not as, I, I don't feel as strongly that we need the, you know, that extra buffer. Um, uh, on the other hand, I am concerned that, um, you know, I'm not really sure in terms of, um, you know, with children, school children going to school and using the sidewalk, whether they'll be safe enough. Um, I can't really make that determination. Um, the other thing that um, I do have an issue with is that um, their, their color palette is, um, you know, uh, for lack of better term, um, really monotonous, uh, both in terms of the fact that they're grays and whites and they're all basically on the same family of color or non-color. And that's applied to 32 buildings um, in a gigantic site. Um, you know, so uh, it seems to me that it's easy enough to have at least three different color palettes for, which means like you have 10 buildings that you know, each, you know, and I'm simplifying this. Um, um, and I'm not really understanding why, 
they are very insistent on having just one gray palette, gray, white, and black, or yeah, or uh, I guess they do have, they do have a brown, yeah. So those are my comments. Thank you, uh, Amy. And uh, for me, I think that uh, the applicant um, has presented more information based on um, the uh, previous meeting that we had. Um, I, I want to thank them for uh, taking time to to go through all these. Um, I guess that in general, uh, based on the um, response that we received um, um, from the city um, regarding the concerns that were brought up uh, by the DRB in terms of the responsibilities and the type of um, uh, work that we should be reviewing. Um, I, I don't, I'm not fully in agreement with them, but uh, again, um, that's um, their um, response. And uh, I think that uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll have to go with it. The, um, the one item I would like to be included is to add additional uh, seating um, in between uh, those um, shelters that they have. Um, the guidelines specify that uh, these um, new developments uh, should provide uh, plenty of seating along the streets. And uh, one of the things that uh, I've seen that the applicant uh, did is include these shelters, which uh, I'm in support of, but uh, I believe that um, based on kind of like the length of the um, street that they are uh, creating, um, yeah, I would just recommend to add more uh, benches uh, to those areas. But other than that, I don't have any any additional comments. And I feel that um, with the response of the city uh, in terms of what we should be reviewing today, um, I feel confident to push um, for approval this project. So um, with that being said, sounds like uh, most of the board members um, are in support of this. So if anyone would like to make a motion? Uh, uh, just before that, I'd just like to comment. I only heard Amy. Uh, comment on the landscape buffer modification. So just reminding everyone that that is part of this request approval for you guys. Well, uh, the landscape buffer modification is a minor variation, right, uh, Kyle? Is the condition that the applicant show what vegetation exists on the slope and propose further plant plantings along the south of the uh, retaining walls? That's one that you are talking about. You are mute. Yes, that's correct. The yeah, minor variation in my staff report from January 23rd. Yeah, and um, from what I heard at the beginning of the meeting, that's going to be um, basically determined by the staff, by the city. Uh, no, that's for um, 
Read through this again. I believe that is for the design review board to approve. So the, the city is not gonna have any weight on this. And if we're gonna approve it, um, I guess that do we need to have proof of the vegetation that exists on the slope and, and see what they are proposing in terms of planning along the south? Um, that was my recommendation from, from the staff report, but um, yeah, you uh, the design review board needs to put it to a motion to approve the um, minor variation of the landscape buffer requirements. And um, is the city gonna have any additional reviews on this minor variation or it's uh, only the DRB who's gonna be uh, reviewing this, this item? Um, John, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he would, upon building permit, um, just um, make sure it's in line with whatever the design review board approves, correct? as the planning department. Right, so we would approve the, essentially it'd be the landscape plan that's being proposed. So you're asking the DRB to approve the landscape plan uh, as part of their manner of variation for them to proceed with the administrative uh, process for their permitting? Yes, uh, let's. Let's sure. just clarify. So the so the requirement is for a five foot wide landscape buffer with certain plantings and a fence. The applicant is asking through the, this modification process to not put the fence, not plant, but then plant closer to the bottom of the wall. Kyle was recommending, you know what, there could be some gaps there. And so Kyle was recommending that if there are gaps kind of at the bottom of the wall to supplement plantings to help buffer. So essentially put the buffer at the lower end at the retaining wall instead of up at the, the top of the slope. Okay, so basically cover those pockets yep. where there are so if no... There's, if there's some visible gaps where... Because I think some of the pictures, so you could actually see the homes from yeah. below. Um, so that's... So that's the, so that's the question Kyle was posing to the board, whether okay. they just accept the applicant's landscape plan or condition it to where, um, um, give some staff some uh, leeway there to actually work with the applicant to kind of fill in the gaps as needed as part of the building permit process. Okay, and uh, so this acceptance of the applicant's landscape plan would be final or would the applicant be required still to work uh, with um, the staff and city uh, to ensure that this uh, requirement is met? Just, just wondering. You can, like you can condition it that way to work with staff to fill or just approve it as is. Okay, um, so Amy, um, do you have any comments thoughts on this uh you you know my recommendation is we just approve it because i mean as they showed today right i mean what and i'm just talking about the variation um what they're asking is reasonable uh like i can't imagine like i mean if there's any change that it's not like they're suddenly gonna not you know like move the wall, I mean, it's not going to be anything dramatically different. 
Okay, uh, but uh, approve it with the condition that the applicant works with the city to ensure that um, the, the, where there's the holes, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That, they, that, that those will be planted. Um, I also think that we need a condition of approval for the um, buffer averaging because that hasn't been approved by the city. So their, their site plan might still change. Um, so we might need uh, to make sure that if the site plan changes significantly that, you know, we'll, you know, the applicant will have to come back and have us review, you know, any kind of modification. Yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering about what's that significant change. And I don't know if John, do you have um, any insights on what that entails and or how could the board um make a motion that ensures that significant is not major changes or significant not just slightly minor changes if there's a parameter for that let's see so as i recall the the buffer averaging is needed because if it wasn't approved, it would conflict with the location of proposed improvements and even some of the buildings, I think. So right. if that's the case, um, you know, worst case scenario, from the, I'm just kind of thinking on the applicants, like they might I just have to like maybe shift the building or even um, reorient the building. So in that case, it may not be that big of a deal if it's just a minor shift. Um, they might lose a couple of buildings. Right, they might. A, yeah. If they lose, then... It's not something that we would want to review. Right. right. Yeah. So, I mean, currently the way our um, modification criteria as it reads has a provision in there where if staff has a question if it's a major or minor modification, we can consult the board. So we've done that in the past where, okay. um, hey, we're, you know, at board, we need your input. So it's it's already written in the code um, okay. for modification. So I don't necessarily think you need to do anything there. It's just that, you know, inherently this, this buffer averaging mm -hmm. um, proposal just needs to comply or need to be approved in order for what's being contemplated tonight to be approved as well. So there's just that. There's that slight risk there to the applicant if it um, does not get approved. Understood. Yeah. Okay. And Amy, you are in support of those two. Um, yeah. Items. Yeah. Except I, I do have a question about the, the sidewalk improvements because they don't meet the guidelines. And I'm not sure, like, um, and, and this is where we need guidance from staff. Can we actually approve a project without them meeting a guideline? Yeah, well, yeah, I think yes. Um, the reason I say that is a lot of these um, pedestrian um, sidewalks, pathways, it's kind of like there's like a, it's kind of weird. And I something I need, we need to figure out, but there's the guidelines and there's actually kind of like a parallel set of regulations, I believe in the zoning code. And public works has even their standards for, you know, pre-approved plans, et cetera. So kind of the default that we've always taken is usually like, as long as it meets the the um, the minimum standards that the zoning code has, then 
it's should be fine. Um, where I think the board, where I think the board usually weighs in a lot on are when there's public sidewalks and when there's storefront and storefront activities and sidewalk cafes and landscaping and, you know, joint bike paths, et cetera. That's when usually the board focuses on the particular design, especially when it applies to plazas and that relates to public plazas. Um, the board typically doesn't get into, into like the specific widths of let's say an interior pedestrian walkway that's next to a private drive. It just typically the board hasn't weighed in on those things and mm -hmm. just defaults to whatever the code requires. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks for the clarification. Mm -hmm. um, and the other question, Carlos, is um, I don't know how the other board members feel about the color palette because I feel strongly about it. I personally do not have any comments about color palette. Uh, I mean, it's uh, seems to be a private kind of like road. So, um, I mean, hopefully, um, these are um, detailed in a proper manner that um, does not um, bring uh, down the the visual and the context. And especially since they are very close to the um, CKC, I, I, I feel that these buildings do not need to stand out. I wouldn't like to see them like being red or yellow, uh, uh, but I would like prefer them to kind of like be on a lower tone. Uh, so just based on the location and uh, the adjacencies with the other uh, elements, I mean, on the other side, you have the the freeway, uh, the south side, you have residential area, the um, um, kind of um, west, uh, you have the CKC. So, uh, I mean, like very um, flashy colors. I, I, I don't think it would be recommended, especially since um, the essence of the CKC is to um, make the nature, nature be the predominant uh, um, image or kind of like um, feature that area, not the buildings behind them. So I, I, I don't, I don't have kind of like a very strong comments about that. I feel that they, it's, it's okay for for the type of um, of project and the location. Uh, but uh, I, I would like to be interested to hear if Randall is okay with uh, these two items that we just discussed regarding the buffer averaging and the landscape plan? I, you know, as far as the buffer averaging, that's a risk that the developer takes to work through that process. And I think that the staff needs to handle that one. And, you know, and I, I look at the, the driveways and the, the sidewalks, and as soon as you cross the entrance into this site, it's a private site. And most of the most of the thing that we deal with when we deal with sidewalks and, and street trees and, and all of that type of thing are on face onto public right away. And this is a condominium project. And so as soon as you cross over that line, the person that owns that property crossing over that line owns the street and are driving on their street. And so I, I think there's minimum standards for, you know, fire and 
and all of that type of things the city has code-wise, those types of things. But as far as when we get into the design guidelines, and I think I, I agree with John, it really goes towards you know plazas and, and a lot of frontages of restaurants and, and stores and this type of thing. And so I, I have no problem with that. And then as far as the colors, uh, I think at this point in time, you know, not pulling attention to the project is probably appropriate. <laughs> Plus, I told told brothers is large enough that they certainly do know the colors that will sell, and you know that's what they're doing. And so, so I'm not one. I'm not one to be picking colors tonight in that in that that way. But if it, if it was on a public right of way, public street, we were looking at it going up and down. Like, Last time we were working on Market Street, you know, yeah. But on this one, it's kind of in the back end of everything. And mm -hmm. I, I think they've done a good job. Okay. Uh, Brad? <clears throat> um, I'm just at an impasse um, because everything Randall said is absolutely correct. You know, I think it's a well-designed project. I think it's what Toll Brothers does. It feels like this is a private development. It feels like these are just private homes. This doesn't seem like the type of project the board would typically review, but we're kind of, well, I don't know if have your kicking into two is the right term, but it's like, it's, you know, I feel from the design guidelines for the neighborhood, this is supposed to be a public, you know, a much more public site. That's what the zone is intended for. And so, if I'm reviewing this project for what it is, I think it's very good. If I'm reviewing it based on what I think the guidelines are requiring, then I don't think it's meeting a lot of those public requirements that we normally see. Like Randall said, if this was a big public walk, um, if there were a lot of storefronts. Because if we were reviewing for that, Amy brought up some good points that it doesn't meet a couple of the guidelines, like for buffering you know, uh, sidewalks from the street. Well, I don't think that this street needs the sidewalks buffered, but that's incongruous with the code. So personally, I think the city kind of needs to get his crap together and figure out why this isn't jiving and help the board do its job properly. Um, because there is a public building on this site. Um, I couldn't tell you what the underside of that canopy looks like. And the canopy design is something that the board is supposed to be reviewing, you know, but my gosh, it's just a tiny little thing that only 5.8 people can fit inside. So I don't know how to review this project. It's um, really putting the board, I think, in an awkward spot. But every, everything that they have done is well designed. I don't have any problems with anything that they have designed. Um, towards Amy's points about the color, yeah, it's it's dark and monotonous. And we've seen some larger public buildings that have been dark that I've personally kind of regretted some of the material choices that we approved, but for buildings of this scale and the, the pedestrian level lighting that they'll have on the interior of the site, I don't think it will be that big of a problem. And Toll Brothers knows what they're doing. Um, I would also say that uh, please, um, uh, please spare me from such detailed uh, presentations about the civil drainage design and the uh, buffer averaging for the wetlands. I do plenty of that stuff myself in my job. That uh, that's not the sort of thing I'm super interested in as a board, but it just goes to show um, how difficult the site is and how Toll Brothers had their work cut out for them. And I think they've done a 
good job with that and integrating them with the uh, CKC. I just don't know how to apply these guidelines to this project. I'd, I'd like some more clarification from the city about that. Thanks, Brad. And uh, I, I, I see where you're coming from. Uh, feel the same. I think that with this project we've noticed and uh, hopefully the city is gonna um, further review the guidelines and make sure that they are um, in sync uh, with um, the code and uh, what the vision of the city is and the type of projects that are gonna be approved. Uh, but um, just um, based on um, their response and uh, what we need to keep, provide for feedback from to the um, applicant, uh, feel that uh, the, the majority of the, of the board um, uh, is um, or approves this project. So with that being said, would any, anyone would like to make a motion? Um, and please just uh, make, uh, make sure to include um, these two items that we discussed regarding buffer averaging and uh, the uh, applicant's landscape plan. Um, I would just recommend to uh, include as the conditions that the applicant works with the staff to ensure that um, the um, the uh, the condition uh, of the vegetation is uh, fully met and properly reviewed. So, with that being said, is there a motion? I would make a motion that we approve of condition and. I'm not quite sure how to word the uh, wetlands averaging for averaging deal, Carlos. I think you said there, I mean, I may have to lean on Kyle on that one to put that and then approve the landscape plan uh, as we've talked about with the minor variations attached to that. And, and Kyle, uh, for the minor, for, for the buffer averaging, um, um, can we, um, condition these that if any significant changes are um, a result of these uh, requirement that it comes back to the DRB or? Um, sorry, John, would we want to, would, would that be more in terms of um, yeah, ma major site changes would that have the condition be written if the buffer averaging result of <laughs> major site changes? Yeah. Oh, so for the wetland buffer averaging, I think all you need to state is that, um, like the this approval that the board, I'm assuming, is granting tonight, is contingent on approval of the wetland buffer mod or averaging. I think you just need to say that because if it if it if it isn't a if, if that buffer mod isn't approved, then that kicks them into this whole. Well, now their project doesn't comply. So then, is it a major mod, minor mod? Well, and we can deal with that later. Um, we have criteria in the code already that addresses that. So, Randall, the, I would have um, what my, I, I I'd amend my uh, <laughs> uh, motion to. Now I'm losing it. That that if the buffer averaging is incorrect, it, it gets back into the process of major or minor mod and coming back. 
DRB. And the other part is the uh, minor variation for the landscape plan. Yeah, and you know, we approved the minor variation for the landscape plan. Actually, actually, um, Randall, uh, we need to clarify the first one. It should say contingent to the approval of the um, buffer averaging. Got it. I accept that contingent to the approval. <laughs> okay, and the second one is I, I think I, we just like to add that um, the landscape plan. Uh, the minor variation for um, landscape plan is conditioned uh, for the applicant to work with the staff to ensure that um, this requested variation um, is fully met. Yeah, I'm add that. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure who's writing this all down. Are you writing it down, Kyle? <laughs> yeah, I got some notes going. And and is that clear, Kyle? That what what we're really saying is that where they have holes, that you're going to work with um, to fill those holes with trees and shrubs, right? Correct. Okay. <laughs> right. So, uh, is there so anything you know. else you guys want to add for the conditions? The only thing that I uh, would kind of recommend is to add that the applicant provides additional seating and benches along the um, sidewalks. Yeah, I don't manage to add additional seating and benches along the sidewalk, corresponding with the covers and mailboxes, et cetera. All right, uh, so there's a motion and one would like to second. I second the motion. Move on second. Uh, I think that we need to go uh, through roll call, right? Correct. Randall Brand? Yes. Carlos Castaneda? Approved with conditions. Brad Brown? No. And Amy Turst? Approved with conditions. Okay. Uh, motion carries. Uh, Project is approved with conditions. Thank you, everyone. Uh, for um, staying in this late and for the feedback and thanks for the applicant for um, coming back with uh, clarifications and uh, helping the board uh, understand what's the intent for this property. Thank you very so much. Can, can, um, uh, uh, for the applicants, can we have a copy of your presentation today? Because you provided a lot more information than we have in our packet. Yeah, absolutely. Let me uh, make sure that we've got the the clean copy. We'll and we'll um, arrange a Dropbox file for you to to download it. Okay. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Thanks for your insightful questions. Thanks. Um, next in the agenda, it's administrative reports. Um, for I guess the poll for attendance for the next DRB meeting. Um, John. Um, yeah, really, it's just more of a heads up. <clears throat> so the regularly scheduled meeting on the 20th is canceled because of the President's Day holiday. So the next regularly scheduled meeting with the board is um, March 6th. And we'll just, currently there's nothing on the agenda, um, but we will reach out to the board members if, if something does happen to come up and uh, make sure we pull at least one week ahead. 
Um, and I did want to give two other things, if it's okay, Carlos. Go ahead. So um, I did send out uh, via email to the board members just an FYI about the, um, that House Bill 1026 that's currently going through the state. Um, so just heads up on that. We're working. So I've so myself and Adam, our director, have um, kind of consulted with the city manager's office to basically. Um, try to propose amendments that would alleviate concerns about um, kind of the design review board process, um, not necessarily in our jurisdiction, but in others like Seattle, where it's kind of where folks have thought, you know, it's it's a, I think the primary reason is like it is like a bear, like if the projects take too long, then it could be a barrier to providing housing, um, things like that. So We've proposed some amendments to hopefully address some of those so we'll, we'll concerns. So we'll see where that ends up. Um, I'm not exactly sure where it's at in the process, but. Okay, is there anything else? Uh, Amy, you were muted. Yeah, I'm sorry. So John, is there a possibility that, um, I mean, I'm amenable to the idea of waiving DRB review if it's, it's a 100% affordable housing, hmm. um, you know, uh, and then, um, you know, because the way the, 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 the way the state is, um, the state legislature is rationalizing this, right? It's yep. because it's a barrier to affordable housing. So we, they should limit the bill to only address affordable housing. It shouldn't be, you know, to, you know, uh, it, to me, the, the whole, like, the, the idea of removing all uh, citizen commissions and DRBs is almost like driven by developers um, and trying to circumvent the possibility of NIMBY which I'm sure probably happens a lot in Seattle. But, uh, and that's where I think you were going when you were saying, you know, there's a way that, you know, you're, you guys are gonna propose something. Yeah, so um, that's a good idea, Amy. So that's something we didn't think about. I'll definitely bring it up with Adam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one last thing I wanted to mention is, we have some terms ending next month. And so we got Randall and Brad. And if we don't meet in March, <laughs> I just want to say thank you, Brad, for all your for all your work. We've we've been through a lot of meetings <laughs> and uh it's been great. And um yeah, I just want to say thank you. Yep. Yeah. And I also want to say thank you, Brad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a long time. It seems mm -hmm. like it's been longer than eight years, I think, I about <laughs> some of the first projects, you know, I reviewed when I first joined the board. And it's crazy how far the city's come in the last eight years. But, mm -hmm. you know, I can also be a stick in the mud on the board. Maybe it's time for this old man to move <laughs> on. I, I, I have to say, Brad, I really, really appreciate um how you really uh, brought up this whole issue with um, how we handled the review of 
um, you know, this Toll Brothers project. Um, sorry, it's sticky. For, it's, it, it's a sticky project. I think it well, was a good well, project, but if this was every development that went up in Totem Lake, which theoretically, if this is what you have to do to just meet the guidelines, then it's not, I don't think the way the city intended Totem Lake to be developed is, but this site was a unique one, but the board to consistently review projects, I think needs some more guidance, but well, the board might and, get dissolved and, too. So we'll see how that house bill goes. Well, and <laughs> I was gonna say there's, there's a couple of ways that the city could have addressed that, right? And I'm just gonna speak from my experience being in design review boards and I mean, staffing design review boards and doing design review administratively. So, even though we as the board may not have the authority to use the comprehensive plan, the city should have, that would have been the first line of you know, evaluation. Does this project even meet the vision for the Totem Lake area? And in a lot of places that I work, staff actually does that review. We evaluate the compliant policies one by one. We include that in the staff report to show that the project actually meets the vision and the policies of the compliant. So that by the time it gets to the design review board, we don't have to be the one having to make that decision. Um, so that is the part that was missing here. Um, and, and what you were trying to do was fix something that we couldn't fix because we didn't have that authority, but the city should have done that, okay? So the other thing is with sites like this that is so, you know, anachronistic, right? It's, it's not really conducive for the kind of um, vision, you know, project that was envisioned for Totem Lake. You know, we could, you know, the city could have created some sort of a um, um, exceptions, you know, where, you know, under certain conditions, you know, that the site, you know, may be developed in a different form. My struggle was because there was none of that. It's so blatant to me that this type of um, development was not intended for Totem Lake because the design guidelines, it's like half of them, it's like an A. How could you have a project where half of the guidelines don't apply, right? And you, you pointed that out, that it was meant to have these ground floor retail with, you know, with very public streets, and that's not what we have here. I, um, and I think this design fit the site but this site didn't fit the zone. Exactly. You know, I, honestly, exactly. I think that's what ended up happening. Exactly. A, and I a, came to that conclusion. That's a great way to put it. And that's, that, that was my conclusion too. And that's why I'm saying in sites like this, the city should either have like some sort of like, you know, and Randall used the word transition. We could have had a transition layer here that allowed them to have this without us having heartburn over the fact that they don't meet the guidelines, right? And that there are special guidelines for the transition area that now helps us to better review this type of project. I think that those are all good points. And probably, uh, I think that with this project, we command uh, the city to review these specific uh, <laughs> properties. <laughs> and, for sure. Help us um, provide uh, more um, 
more accurate uh, resolution. Also for applicants, I know that uh, we have um, we have had some work sessions that uh, hopefully they are in benefit of the communities. But still, uh, if we if our tools are the guidelines and uh, we cannot uh, execute them as they are written, then that's uh, that's a call for um, the city to um, review these uh, properties that are kind of like in transition areas where um, there are multiple ways of interpreting the code and uh, just making sure that it meets the vision of the city and uh, the future plans and the transitions that are required for different uh, zones. I, I absolutely, but I think I think Amy, you're you're right. There's maybe some statement as far as transition, because when you look at the project we we approved uh, over on Forbes Forbes Street or Forbes Creek Road or whatever. It is a what a six over one or whatever, however you want to you want to put it. And honestly, I drive that you know four or five times a week as this thing is being constructed, and it's out of place. It sets up on a plateau that overlooks this this area down below. That yeah, they can go higher, they can go eighty feet and all that type of thing, and you drive up to that. And you got a big block and the site next to it to the north can do the same thing. And then you got a bunch of one-story residential just to the north of it. And you got one-story residential across the street. And then you've got a, a very open apartment complex of multiple buildings and that type of thing. And so this particular site and project actually, it's not a big enough site, but works there because it's in between. And so I think there's we've got to look at it that there needs to be some sort of transition because you have the same thing on the north side of totem lake and and we're going to be headed that way as we head west or east and and even head west uh that there just doesn't seem to be a transition it's either big boxes little houses and i it it's a tough transition yeah I agree. All right. Uh, well, um, last item, uh, John, that I want to um, ask you is regarding mm -hmm. uh, election of new board members. Um, do we know if there are going to be any or uh, has anyone with the expiring terms going to renew uh, their term? Can, can they do that? Oh. Yeah, so that was yeah, that was the other thing. So Randall's term actually ends <laughs> ends in March. And I don't know. I mean, it's up to Randall if you would like to. <laughs> I, I have the application. Awesome. I, I may follow Brad and try and go eight years. I don't know. <laughs> so we'd love to have you. <laughs> yeah, I got the I got the application. So uh, okay. I get it in. Well, Brad, now that you're not part of the DRB, you know, you can go in front of the city council and tell them your 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 beef about. <laughs> oh, no, this this was a unique case. There's only ever one other project that I didn't um, approve that all the rest of the board did. Um, which one was it? It was the uh, it was on Lake Washington Boulevard, John, if you remember. Um, 
it was oh. the senior housing project. Yep. Yep. Yeah, right. they put they put a driveway right um, against Lake Washington Boulevard and people would have to cross it to get in and out of the building. Um, and I just thought that that was a danger and also a bad design because the guideline said, don't put parking and driveways up against the street. You know, we want the buildings up against the street. But um, that project had a whole lot of political baggage, if you recall, John. And if anyone else is familiar with the project that was originally designed for it, you know, I think the guy went to jail, actually, the original developer. Um, <laughs> so I think people were just happy to get that one, you know, through the approval process. But yeah. No, well, a lot of interesting projects over the years. And thanks. Kirkland's growing even faster. <laughs> thanks for um, serving the board, uh, Brad. And you'll be missed, but um, hopefully we can see you around. And uh, Randall, thanks uh, for uh, <laughs> the good spirit of continuing with the board. Hopefully um, in no, next month have, we can I get- I still have to go through the acceptance process. Oh, I, I got to put an application in and see if they still want city council still wants me. So we'll go from there. Hopefully, anyone with the city can recommend you. <laughs> how, how about we make a motion to adjourn? Yeah. <laughs> anyone would I'll, like to make a motion? I'll move to adjourn. Um, I'll second. Move and second. All all those in favor say aye. 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 Okay, so just uh, for clarification, no meetings in February and March so far. Uh, no, this is the last meeting in February. Mm -hmm. And currently there's nothing on the agenda for the March, first okay. March meeting. But we'll we'll let you know if something does come. Okay. And thank you, John thank you. and Kyle, for hanging in here with us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for attending to the, uh, tonight's meeting and hope you and, have a good rest of your week. And Jeannie, she's silent, but oh, yeah. with us. And Shay. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Good night. Good night. You're probably bye -bye. dreaming. Bye. <laughs>